He was warrior and mystic, ogre and saint, the fox and the innocent, chivalrous, ruthless, less than a god, more than a man. There is no measuring Muad'Dib's motives by ordinary standards. In the moment of his triumph, he saw the death prepared for him, yet he accepted the treachery. Can you say he did this out of a sense of justice? Whose justice then? Remember, speak now of the Muad'Dib who ordered battle drums made from his enemy's skins. The Muad'Dib who denied the conventions of his ducal past with a wave of the hand, saying merely, I am the Kwisatch Haderach. That is reason enough. From Arrakis Awakening by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. And Mike, we, we made it. We've come all the way through the I desert. I can't believe it. We're I did it. I finished the book. <gasps> I finished the book. But not today, because <laughs> as we've already planned out, we're going to stretch this into a two-parter, my friend. This this uh, this took a lot of uh, back and forth from us. We're like, do we want to do two parts? It's, I think by uh, principle, we just decided we were never going to do that. We almost made it, too. Almost <laughs> to do Messiah. the finish line. Yeah, I think but, it's, uh, it's going to be worth it. It's so long of chapter, and... I know you and I both have a lot of things that we want to sort of like spitball on, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. including like the Gazetteer and our deep dives. And we either do one really rushed, like four or five hour episode, or we can have like two really solid, leisurely, like three hour episodes. <laughs> yeah, leisurely three hours. To, <laughs> uh, we're going to get you some t- like All in all, we're giving you more, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. That's the whole point here. Uh, so I hope you guys will appreciate it. Uh, we are not going to miss a thing in this last chapter. Oh my God. So that also means Mike, we're going to have two different bottles of wine. Cause Woo, that, that's, that's why we're doing it. It's demanded. <laughs> that's they why we're to. doing it. So today, uh, I picked up a, another rosé out of New Zealand too. Cause I wanted Ooh. to go down under and we got Kim Crawford. That's all, right. all it tells me. That's all it tells you? We go to the back here, Mike, and it's uh, our very special dry rosé, affectionately known as Pansy for its vivacious <laughs> and vibrant character. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, <laughs> it's been a winery favorite since its first vintage in 2002. Mm. Yeah, it's delicious. What, what are you getting when you taste that? I don't know. I'm getting like sour, like tart vibes almost, but it's like okay. it's very relaxed. Yeah, it, it's super mellow. It's got a little, I can see the tartness of like, it's like the dry at the end. Yeah, yeah. I'm almost getting like a strawberry apple kind of vibe. Okay, it's, it tells me just berry fruits. So they <laughs> <laughs> They're not gonna. We're gonna disclose it. Could be some sappho <laughs> berries. Proprietary. <laughs> Our proprietary blend of berries. Yeah, it's and a little watermelon flavor for that, Ooh. like that mouthfulness. But yes, yeah, so that's uh, Kim Crawford New Zealand Rosé. I really love that. It's delicious. I'm so Sorry. excited. Oh, you know what else there is to be excited about? I do not. Patreon, we got a new Spice Worlder. <laughs> another one? Oh yeah. God, all right. Get yeah. another Yali going. <laughs> you might remember this name. It's Paul from Montreal. <gasps> oh, very nice. Finally uh, joining the crew, coming in at a Sappho Juice enthusiast. Oh, Paul, you're welcome. We will leave a crate in your new Yali. <laughs> <laughs> 
Everyone gets a grain of salad yeah, juice. They were very excited. They left a, a very lengthy email that I think we'll. I guess why don't we just put the email up into two uh, <laughs> episodes too? <laughs> might actually do that. Yeah, that's not? not a bad idea. So we'll go through all of those. He had uh, so many talking points. He's just so excited. I'm just so excited for him too. I think Giovanni's even smiling in the corner now. He's like <laughs> emptying his mailbag out a little bit. I'm like, okay, okay. Airing it out. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's on board for that. But that is awesome. I guess, Paul, this episode's going to be for you. Excellent. Oh, my gosh. So we're starting up with probably one of the more amazing quotes or like uh, epigraphs. Is it just because it's so linear and direct to what we're going into? Well, like, okay, it's like got so much finality to it. Mm -hmm. Like, I was wondering, we've had some really good ones so far. I was wondering how Frank was going to end it. Yeah, like, How are you what, close what do you off? put there? Because you don't want a really crappy epigraph for the final chapter of your book. Definitely. And what I think what I really like about this is that it's something that you read going into this final sit-down with the Emperor. Mm. And then that it's also something I think you would need immediately have to read afterwards because it's reflecting on how the history is going to portray all these negotiations that go down, right? Yeah. Uh, and we're seeing that, like, Paul is going to play this card of, like, uh, you know, the Duke Paul says one thing, but Moadib might say another. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's really undermined. Uh, and I didn't see that coming uh, up until the end here. Yeah. It, it, its character changes a lot. The idea that Paul and Moadib are different people in a way. Well, that I think that's an excuse, though. It I'm is an like, excuse. It's an excuse of that's political a, uh-huh, convenience. I got you on a technicality kind of thing. And I think it's very cheap and very, like... Uh, immoral in a lot of ways uh, what paul being immoral never <laughs> what are you talking never. about yeah I, but it's like and i feel like he's been keeping that kind of close to the chest of how i'm gonna deal out my power when i finally get there mm-hmm. right i, I think just told the fremen what they needed to know the most honest line is that there's no measuring muadib's motives by ordinary standards because he's just not an ordinary guy no by any means and he's hard for normal people to understand. Right. Because think of, like, if you're told, oh, no, this guy can see the future and this and that. Like, do you even believe it if you're the common river? Right, right, right. How much of that do you take as a grain of salt? Just be like, ah, that's just the propaganda, you know, again. I think that's the why core. the Fremen are always excited. Like, did you see that? He did it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and how then Paul goes, oh, crap. And he has, <laughs> Damn it. you know, Paul knows a version of what they're going to ultimately say. Like, mm-hmm. this event will get repeated. The telephone game will take place. And all of a sudden, Paul killed everyone single-handedly with the blink of an eye <laughs> or as we're going to come to see you here with a spoken word well deep suplexed the emperor exactly yeah i mean he got close to it yeah. if, if, if fade wasn't going to step up somebody was going to have to <laughs> but uh i think the great point too is that that rumor about him making uh drums from the skin of his enemies yeah you just can't shake it no nope. so this is Irulan saying this. This we is had, Irulan now. We had Gurney say it. Mm-hmm. Does he actually do this? We, we, we don't, don't hear did, anything did else he, about it. it. Clearly, already happened. It would. Have, it would have, <laughs> I would hope it's the same rumor Gurney brought up. If there are two rumors <laughs> of Paul skinning these Harkonnens to make some drums, uh, but maybe there's a you know Papa Harkonnen. Maybe. Once we found his body, that's how we immortalized him. Would the Fremen use drums? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> categorically no <laughs> that's an insiet only instrument yeah. uh yeah i guess in that in that respect they probably do I, you can't avoid percussion right yeah yeah, yeah yeah but like in rock settings very firm <laughs> rock settings that's a great point 
Um, is there anything else you want to uh, pull out of here? Uh, I guess the other thing is like him waving past the conventions is going to be a, the We're illusion. We're going to see that right here. As well, well, it's it's the illusion to the nukes as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you saying yeah? When he tells the emperor, I was just trying to get to you, buddy. Uh, well, I mean, like trying to get to you, but like not even that. Just saying, let's like, oh yeah. I've, Duke Paul gave you his word, but now you got to face Muad'Dib, and Muad'Dib's not so, going to yeah. play by the rules. And that's with, like, the entourage, right. which is also, yeah, this conventional, like, uh, with the familia dictum of how mm. you treat nobles and stuff. Like, yeah, Paul's going to break any rule that he has again, to. Hey, the rules don't apply to him. No, not to a Fremen, because I guess they never they never gave the Fremen the perks of, like, being citizens before, yeah. so I like it. Uh, our tyrant has emerged. <laughs> this is his uh, little bit of Betty Jenner's uh, training peeking through. Just, like, breaking all the rules. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, I mean, it's almost a little bit of twisted mentat training peeking through. Oh. Don't you think? I think there's, maybe, Tell you, there's a little tighter in all of us, Derek. Maybe we broke that mentat a little bit, Mike. I hear the Chris Hatterock process did. Um, with with I mean, that. That's entirely possible, actually. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a normal boy. <laughs> <laughs> We can at least agree on that. <laughs> yeah. And I think even Gam Gam's going to get a view of him today and make her assessment. <laughs> Gam Gam. Gam Gam. Uh, all right. We good to get, jump into this yeah, chapter? let's do it. All right. I, I cannot wait because, Mike, Paul is escorted back home. We've been gone for so long. Uh, but this, the evening of his victory, we're going back into the residency that uh, was Raban had been staying there. Raban yep. restored it uh, to whatever means after the sacking of it. Of that one night, oh, you know, when they rampaged and killed mm-hmm. Duke Leto. Uh, now, the, ta- the townspeople have been through here. They've looted and pillaged a little yep. bit, which is like, good for you guys, you know, because it was a Harkonnen building. Yeah. Like, get in there, steal some shit, take a chair, whatever you got to do. Take a chair. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know the Fremen aren't going to want the, the chairs. The like, chairs have to go full circle. <laughs> oh, they really do. <laughs> it's like the Harkonnen and Atreides have different sets. I'm <laughs> just like, no, they all got to be swapped. It's a really weird tradition, but you got to do it. Uh, but I love, you can imagine Paul walking in and we're going into the great hall. Do you remember the last time we were here? Uh, last time we were here was for the dinner scene. The dinner scene. Jessica was standing by that fireplace yeah. to get the Duke's attention. Now Paul's walking through there yeah. and it's tattered. Old words for someone who's going to be sleeping like at the bottom of the basement. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> great one yeah. and uh we have stilgar and gurney a pace behind him mm. representing like the past and the future these two sides of paul right his left hand is right hand yeah as he moves through and uh we're we move in through here and uh, the escort fans out and they go to work and they're looking picking for up the pieces it's and yet looking traps. very classic atreides it's deja vu too right of like we're doing this all over again we got some better skills this time and then it does um mention offhand that it's the fremen guard that had been there um brought in to supplement the remaining fedaikin so that means we've expended the majority of our like fedaikin forces we're already have to like move some people up people are getting promotions you're part of this royal guard now after the action farouk i hope he's like a goddamn general at this point (laughs) he better be he's up for management uh now gurney of all people remarks that a cave would be better than being back in this harkonnen house he's getting the heebie-jeebies again i'm like fool me once shame on me but of all things, to say a cave, right? Yeah, that's very Fremen. He's adapted. He's learned. Uh, he And Stilgar calls him out. Like, you are a true Fremen for saying that. You know, mm. spoken like a true Fremen. Uh, and this brings a cold smile to Paul. And I think that's all the smiles that are passed around today. Are mm. Icy cold. 
you can only appreciate the bitterest like surface layer of because there's so much going on below. Yeah. Uh, of Paul is worried, obviously, about the jihad still, um, as well as you know his son has just died. Yeah. Uh, I think he knows his sister's okay. She's happy as can be, happy as a clam out and out in the <laughs> battlefield. So. But the weight of the Imperium is on his shoulders right now. And uh, Stilgar asked Paul to reconsider setting up here as well. But to Paul, you know, it's too significant as a symbol. Mm-hmm. Raban was here. I used to be here. This is too clearly means victory by all of us occupying this place. There's no other Fremen to stand in. Or I'm sorry, there's no other Harkonnen to stand in here, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Stilgar, he reluctantly kind of accepts this, and he leaves to go see the building cleared with these teams. I'm like, go check each room. And it's like, <laughs> oh, he's going to be much more thorough than Thufir Howe whatever was. And uh, then some communications equipment is being rushed in and set up by the fireplace. Oh, we're going to need that probably. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. did you get that? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I wonder why we're so uh, patented about pointing that out. And I wonder if this is the stuff that guy saved. And he's like, see, I'm glad I pulled it from up in the basin. Oh, no. Oh, away. do you think it is? It might be. It, might, it could mean, be. We definitely have more, but yeah. <laughs> why not? Why not? And... Uh, like I said, going by the fireplace, that's where we last saw Jessica. And I even I, went, I pulled that line because like we might as well reminisce a little bit. Yeah. Like we're on our way out of this book, and this is reaching all the way back to um, oh, I, I didn't pull the chapter title for it, uh, the chapter number, but it would have been like right as the dinner scene. Uh, was that like sixteen or so? Uh, the dinner scene was sixteen. Sixteen, and it was a long dress, almost the shade of open blaze, and the earth brown band around her bronzed hair. And it was mainly, I was like, oh, what color was the dress? And it's it's not a color. It's the shade of open blaze. Like, oh, that's great. That's, that's really good. That, that little moment of time when I thought Leto was going to get away with it. He almost got out of the trap. <laughs> he was so close. <laughs> Every time you read it, you think he's going to get out of it. Yeah, he's, he's got it all covered. He knows. <laughs> oh, but back to where we are in this. Darkened. I imagine every time we flash back from the previous room is like bright with fire, and this one is like shadowed and mm-hmm. just like debris and dust a little bit. I uh, I, I know it's uh, on Gaty Prime, but it would have been cool to see uh, see the bull's head. Yeah, it would have been really cool. Mm-hmm. Or even like um, maybe you know how like when they burnt down the White House, we cut out that portrait of Washington to get it out. Yeah, if like the placard the head had been on or something, where like oh. they had broken it off mm-hmm. in some manner, or like the frame of the portrait of the Duke was up there, like <laughs> something like using that. gorilla glue <laughs> <laughs> directly on there. Take care of this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <Maybe> you're alive. <laughs> Just had a hydrator, and then gets it right back up. Uh, but yeah, bringing us back into this darkened room. The Fremen are whispering and they're muttering suspiciously because they mm. just trust a house that has been the enemies for so long. And it's like, yeah, again, they don't use chairs. I don't know how <laughs> Paul convinced them to come back in this house. They probably want to tear this down brick oh, by brick. It, yeah. I'm just like, we can do it better. Uh, but now Paul kind of turns and he wants uh, Cheney and Jessica brought here. And he asks if Cheney knows about their son, her, their, their son the fate mm. of him. And Gurney just kind of tells him, like, the message was sent. That's sort of all we get, and it does leave a little like, wiggle room of like, oh, dude, I think he just didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. I'm just going to leave that a little vague of like, I did exactly what you told me, boss. No more, no less. 
and then we get a better sense of this battlefield that's going on. What the scene is outside. Right, right, right. Because right. uh, the makers are still in the basin. They're being moved out currently. But we're like taking them. <laughs> probably going to back one. in those. Oh, you can't back out the worms, though. No, I don't know. I'm all those lights <laughs> on that. But at least we got to go one by one back to that shield yeah. wall, I bet. They might nip at each other a little oh, bit. Oh, God. Um, and uh, the storm has just subsided. So however long that was going on. Yeah. And how long do you think? Oh, how, long wanna, do you, how long do you think I battle raged for? Or I, wanna, all? Oh, I don't know. I want to say like an hour. Yeah. Oh, I, I okay. I think I'm, battles always but like, like, and, seem like they go on for longer than you think. Definitely. But then it's got to be the duration of this storm. Like how long was that storm overhead? True. I'm, I want to go for like. Maybe like four, four to six. Okay, I'm with give, you. Give me like a quarter of a day. Um, but certainly I'll say the suns haven't passed overhead. Mm-hmm. Like something happened to this time field. Uh, and obviously since everybody is already centralized, I think that helps you speed things up. Right. And then Paul brings in the overwhelming force of worms. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's overkill cavalry. Yeah, yeah it tips it uh, into his favor quite a bit. But with the storm subsided, we're going over the damage, and uh, it's been pretty extensive to the landing field and our splice silos. Mm. Uh, and Paul's just like, well, nothing money can't fix. Ha, ha, ha. I'm going to be emperor, don't you know? And uh, Gurney's going to quit back yeah. pretty quick, except for the lives, my lord. And there was a tone of reproach in his voice, as though to say, when did an Atreides worry first about things when people were at stake? Yeah. Yeah, There's not a lot of Leto there right now. And well, this is kind of Gurney's job right now. He's putting on the guardrails, right? Mm. They like kind of knock Paul back on course a little bit of like, you, you're too hard. You're too Fremen. You need to soften a little bit. Like, there's got to be some humanity left in you, Paul. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think you're barking up the wrong tree, Gurney. I think he's talking past Paul, though. How, okay. Who do, what do you think he's talking to? No, I mean, like, he's talking to Paul, but I think it's lost on Paul. I don't think he really, like, uh, internalizes what Gurney's saying to him. Oh, no, not at all, because this continues. Uh, Paul could only focus his attention on the inner eye and the gaps visible to him in the time wall that still lay across his path. Through each gap, the jihad raged away down the corridors of the future. So it's like Paul is seeing this wall, and it's like slats of it. And through the little in-between, every one time, it's more jihad. More jihad, more mm-hmm. jihad. So you're right. Gurney's talking to him, trying to be like, lives matter. And I guess in a way, Paul's like, yeah, I know. I'm trying. Because like, he's right, looking right, at right. millions and millions of death and be like, none of the lives on Arrakis matter because this is what's looming overhead. Mm-hmm. And like, Gurney, you just, you're looking so small scale, like so simply. Uh, you're looking down at your own feet, right? But his only response is he sighs. Can you imagine Gurney says that and then Paul's just, ah. Yeah, but I mean, I I can imagine. Uh, do you think he's tried to explain this? I don't think he's capable of explaining it. So that's, that's kind of what I was going to build up to. Of like, do you think it's just a matter of like I can't get anyone to understand this? Like, it's not worth taking the time right now. Exactly, and maybe it's just that he's seen all the times he's tried that conversation mm-hmm. too, because all those myriad views in his head. Right. Uh, that's got to be uh, really annoying. But yeah, Paul, he's wrestling with the consequences of his actions to this day, to this moment. Mm-hmm. The battle's over, but it's not done yet for him. He's going to still try. The whole point of these negotiations is to avoid this looming jihad. Uh, but we'll see. So Paul, he takes his seat out of wariness, and it's against the wall. 
which I thought uh, Thufir would be proud. Yeah, Thufir would be proud. Yeah, he searches it out. He finds the seat against the wall. He takes it. And he does remark that this one is from the dining room, and it may have been the very seat that Leto had sat in at some point. Oh, like that's a little poignant. Good, tr- I like that. Mm-hmm. He's a little sorrow, and then just the ambiguousness of it. He's not going to use prescience to find out. Just like right. this is what the seat looks like. I don't have time. Now we're going to drop the big, uh, big business of the day. Where's mm-hmm. the emperor? What happened to the big guy? He's been holed up in his ship this whole time. So however long when we saw him locked in that room with Irulan and them. He's making some emergency calls with guys Helmahayam. Trying to, yeah. Doing everything he can. Plotting, putting poison on every knife he's got. <laughs> like uh they're gonna they're gonna pull all the threads they can. Uh the Harkonnens, however, have yet to be found among the dead. Mm. So nobody came back from that perimeter walk, Mike. <laughs> Yeah. They're still out. Um, and then they uh, have no reply from the ships in orbit either. So that's the whole, uh, everything run by the guild, all right. those great houses. No one's willing to answer the call from like whatever it's down here on the planet. And so now Paul asks for a Sadokar, implying there are plenty to use as a messenger, <laughs> right? That means more than yeah, one yeah, at the yeah. very yeah. least. And uh this, I think, uh, Paul tries to bring back some of the old ways in this weird moment here, where he turns to Gurney, and he tells Gurney that, uh, since we've been rejoined, I've yet to hear you produce a, the proper quotation for the event. And he turned, saw Gurney swallow, saw the sudden grim hardening of the man's jaw. Wow, what, what do you think is going through Gurney's? Why, I don't why know. the reluctance there? I don't think Leto ever asked him for his quotes. Kind of a feeling of, like, Gurney's not a jukebox? Yeah. Yep. That was sort of a vibe I was getting of just like, that's like not how this works. Paul yeah, he's I, not a tool. He's not, not, not a toy. He's not like the Fremen you've been using. Well, no, I'm like, you're not even using him as a tool. Like, he's just not a toy. It's not here to like pull a string. Um, and there's something where Gurney kind of also feels like with the actions you've just took, like it also doesn't merit it. Like mm-hmm. you've just behaved dishonorably in a way, or at yeah. least kind of to how he views he should be acting. But... He'll do it. He'll, you don't as, deserve a Gurney original. <laughs> no, but as my Duke commands, he cleared his throat and rasped. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. For the people heard say that the day how the king was grieved for his son. Samuel, 219. I was going to ask, like, where's <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and actually, Mike, this is kind of cool. Of uh, This is the king mourning uh, for Absalom. Which is uh, Absalom is in Starfinder. Oh. There, she plays Absalom Station. Absalom Station, yeah. So that's come from that story, I guess. Huh. Yeah, just a little what, bit on the perfect. What? Uh, I'm not too familiar with it. What is Absalom? Ah, I got nothing, but I don't oh, know. Yeah, that's I, I, you stopped looking. Yeah, yeah. It just showed me uh, looking it up. I just saw kind of the the opening quote because uh, this is the second line in it, so it should be the first line in the paragraph going on. I just saw like, oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom. I was like, oh, that's interesting enough. But uh, no, I'm sorry, I didn't go further oh, into fine. like read off on it because uh, I figured you know Gurney wasn't into it. I can't get into it. Like, <laughs> that's your reason. That wouldn't be fair. Yeah. Uh, and any more time we spend on that, Mike, would be postponing. Aaliyah's little bit in this chapter. Yeah. This is, oh, and her last little bit for the book, too. Yeah. We're out after this, but she displays. She still leaves a great uh, imprint on you. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, She leaves an impression, nonetheless. And I love that this is like a power only she can do. She tells Paul, you can't do it. And I don't think she does it again. (laughs) Ever. Ever. Like many Benny Jesuit things that come up. 
Uh, but Paul, he closed his eyes, forcing grief out of his mind, letting it wait as he had once had waited to mourn his father. Now he gave his thoughts over to the day's accumulated discoveries, the mixed futures and the hidden presence of Aaliyah within his awareness. Of all the uses of time vision, this was the strangest. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I have breasted the... Fu- oh, I gotta do my voice. You gotta do your voice. I have breasted the future to place my words where only you can hear them. Even you cannot do that, my brother. I find it an interesting play. Oh, oh, oh yes. I killed our grandfather, the demented old baron. He had very little pain. Silence. His time sense had seen her withdrawal. What do you think? I love that the Baron is a postscript. Oh, he's like, like, oh, she, oh by the way. Killed Grandpappy. <laughs> totally slaughtered him. And by little pain, too, because I know you care. Um, yeah, weirdest cool ability. So she's able to place her words within this like time vision so bubble thing. I breasted the future to place my words where only you can hear them. And but we previously know like she can only see the future through Paul, right? Mm-hmm. That was kind of how that was phrased, right? So I I don't know if she like follows his shadow as he looks at futures or something. Like I don't know in weird mode form. Uh, it's really weird. And then uh, yeah, what do you what do you think the, it is when like and I place my words? I don't know. I I like to think she has to imagine herself saying it just. So adamantly. Is she saying it? Uh, I mean, okay. This is I'm like, I'm like imagining she has to think of a possible future, but like so convinced it's real and that she, her words and that it. she will say it in that future that it makes it like weird enough that Paul's like, what the hell is this time? Not just line? that. Also like yeah. in a moment within that future that like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That only Paul can stumble. It's, yeah. Upon. It's important enough that you would notice like, whoa, why, uh, why is this baby talking to the air? I want to go look at this talking baby. Um, she says, I find it an interesting play. Do you think she's talking about what Paul's about to do? Do you think she's on the same wavelength as him? Um, hmm. I have pressed the future to place my words. Even you cannot. I find it an interesting play. And oh, yes. Hmm. Maybe. A little bit. She definitely. Mm-hmm. Something of like, of choices Paul's going to make. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I think so. Uh, I I think there's something to it. There's a lot of uh, talk, and this actually even came up kind of in Paul's email, and I'll address it partly now. We'll bring it up in the second episode, more so. Mm-hmm. But of, like, how much Frank planned out beforehand and how much he didn't. Okay. And, like, you're never really going to know unless you can find, like, an interview where he'll say something specific. But we don't have his notes. So, like, he can claim whatever he wants. But there's, like, some big stuff in Children of Dune. Like, I've, I've alluded to you the golden path. We're like, yeah, you told me about uh, that. Oh, I don't exactly know what it is, but you told me that's the thing. Just, yeah, a vague, it's in the prescience. That's all you need to know kind of deal. Oh, I didn't know that it was in the prescience. It's it's one of the things. It's a path. You oh, see. It's, it's, it's the one that like, leads to the the candy bar at the end. Yeah, kind of. It's just all, we just call it that, right? Right. And uh, in Children of Dune, we're going to find out uh, that Paul did see it. And Paul chose not to go down it because oh. the cost was too high. Oh. Yeah, and it gets, like, passed on to somebody else. And uh, I would have loved if he put that just, like, Paul seeing this thing and be like, not that. That it does solve the jihad, but I'm not willing to do that. 
Because that's pretty much how it's like juxtaposed. Uh, but clearly he didn't have that down, but that's pivotal to the other two books. Mm-hmm. Um, but even uh, Penguin, the publisher, uh, I think they currently are the one who published like the copy you have. Okay. Uh, they have a little thing online with just some references to it. And they say that um, some of the things Frank cut from Dune did end up in Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. Which is very different from him knowing where he was going to go versus using material. Right. Right. So, like, there's a lot we could go all over the place. And so doubling back to get to here, I don't know if she means I know what you're going to do or if she is just referring to this ability that she's using right now. I kind of want to, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know as much as you do. I'm kind of right, leaning into the idea that she knows what Paul's what going Paul's to gonna do. do. And I like that because it is an isolated sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm down for that. Seems like she can't really uh, say too, too much in this state. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few a few sentences to gloat and then down to business. Exactly. Yep. She's got some killing to do. She's dead. <laughs> She's getting water for the tribe. Um, but yeah, I, I like her being on board with uh, what Paul has in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh and wherever, like him taking Irulan on and like control this universe. Yeah. She probably has an idea of what that means for her a little bit. Ooh. Yeah. But she withdraws. Now, with this heads up, Stilgar comes in and goes, Hey, Paul. And Paul's like, You found the Baron, didn't you? <laughs> and I'm just like, That wasn't enough to figure out that's what the Baron's going to be. That's right. just coincidence, but. Okay, okay. Uh, I'll take it as like some weird Adab kind of memory. <laughs> and uh, it was a very cheap, I think, of everyone being like, oh, he does it again. And like, how are you guys all still amazed by this? Paul, <laughs> he, he does this all the time. <laughs> um, and then uh, I think at this time, Gurney comes in uh, with two Fremen and that Sadokar guard, or our captive, rather. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Sadakar has this shocked uh, expression on his face. He's very submissive in attitude. Not, Sadakar aren't used to this. No, not at all. They don't know what to do when you lose. Yeah, exactly. They are not used to confronting defeat. And this becomes like a big enough thing that Paul like sees in this man. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I should uh, put this into my training program of just to make sure the Fremen don't ever get too comfortable right. at constantly winning. Like, don't forget defeat, you guys. Otherwise, you wind up like this man. And... Uh, this is a weakness, like I said, he's going to address. So Paul's now going to give him a message. And the Sadakar is very reluctant to believe who he is. And then I love he turns to Gurney Halleck. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, uh, and Paul's like, yeah, who else is Gurney Halleck going to bow down to? Other than an actual Atreides, right? That's yeah. more proof than the signet ring than anything else. Well, it's else. funny because he like he does the signet ring first. Mm-hmm. And is just like, okay. It's like a cute ring. Yeah. yeah. But you're right. It isn't until... Uh, the Sardaukar keeps sort of eyeing Gurney over. Yeah. Like, I think Gurney's famous among the Sardaukar. No, for sure. Of like, well, and um, of the few living Atreides atra- retainers. That's true. It's Thufir and Idaho. And there's or, only so many names on that list. Oh, definitely yeah, not Idaho. Definitely not Idaho. I'm sorry. Thufir and Halleck are the only ones left. So here is Gurney Halleck, a man who's been among the smugglers for so long and a man who has killed Sardaukar. True. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I was thinking back to our first... Um, interaction with Gurney in this chapter and how Paul just sort of like treats him more, you're right, like a toy or a tool. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of doing the same thing here. He's just using him as like a credibility. 
Yeah, I think, and especially when we get into part two, I think yeah. Paul treats Gurney terribly this whole chapter. Oh, absolutely. It is shocking. This Nothing good happens this no, chapter. No, it is like when Leto talks to Mapes. That's how bad I felt. I'm just like, you can't say that to him. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's Gurney Halleck. Hold your tongue, boy. <laughs> um, but with this guard, Paul is going to give him a message. And uh, like I said, who else would Gurney serve? And so Gurney is going to take this Sadokar off and drop him at the command post. And this Sadokar is going to run off to the Emperor and tell him to bring your entourage over here. You'll have the protection of, uh, I think, does he say Paul Moadib or Paul Atreides? Uh, I think Paul Atreides. I think it's under the Atreides banner. You're going to have protection. That's going to come up later. Yeah. Uh, now, so Gurney leaves because we have Gurney and Stugar in and out this whole mm-hmm. time. Because uh, got things to do. Yeah, yeah. Still got before he was checking the room, so he came back with a Baron message. Yep. So the rooms are checked at least, or somebody's on it. He's back here. We turn back to Stilgar, who now tells him uh, the ladies have arrived, and uh, Cheney though needs some time to grieve, and Jessica has asked to go spend a moment in the weirding room. So in a way, her own kind of grieving. Yeah, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. All right, yeah, at least you need to process some emotions. Like, yeah. finally, take a day, take a second. Because technically, isn't the room only, lo- like, uh, key palm to her? Um, that's, uh, that's a great point. Who knows who's in the key palm to now? I bet they broke they, it at this point. You think uh, so? The Fremen coming in to check it? Yeah, I don't think oh. they took no shit. I don't know. <laughs> Why do you even have a key palm lock if you're, like, if it's that easy to break it down? To keep the moisture in. I mean, it's mainly just like that. I'm uh, assuming the Fremen are coming with like laser weapons or something, Mike. I don't know. Oh, you might be right. Yeah, like military grade. I like, don't know, Derek. We're battering it down. I just think like as they're going for traps right now, like no door is going to remain locked for long with, the, with like the Fadaiken on fair. one side. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. That is a point of like how much of a bitch it was for her to get in the first time. Mm-hmm. What have we done with the pop lock? <laughs> What is going on in the three years? What has happened? And even then, Tufir was able to get in too. Well, yeah, and who knows how he did it? <laughs> but he did bring a stick. He did bring a at stick. At the very <laughs> least, he used a stick to get in that room. That might be all he needs. He's uh, my guy for a mentats. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. And uh, so, yeah, Jessica's up there. Stogar is like completely oblivious as to why, which is like, dude, you've been spending so long with them. You should kind of get this one, but. Mm-hmm. Paul explains to her that uh, Jessica wants to remember basically Caladan, the world where water fell from the sky. Oh, my God. This and, is so careless of Paul. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's like him stepping on a rake. Like, and he just goes, <laughs> boing, because he goes, like, those words. God damn it. <laughs> Literally, those those insignificant words. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we love it. Like, it rained all the time. All the time. And Stilgar just whispered, water from the sky. And in that instant, Paul saw how Stilgar had been transformed from the Fremen Naib to a creature of the Lisan al Gaib, a receptacle of awe and obedience. That's the death that's, of Stilgar right there. That's it. Yeah. That sucks. That's where we brought him inside. He's done. Like, Stilgar is a wild animal, and you just domesticated him. Mm. He's going to be made governor of Arrakis. Like, that's not... That's governor Stilgar does not have a good ring no, to it. No, he is a naive. He is a sand rider. But it, I've, uh, it ends with... Now, I've now he's seen, a zealot. I've seen a friend become a worshiper, he thought. Yeah, it's something where... Uh, yeah, Paul just knows... Like, there's a distancing that's happening between everyone Paul, like, got close to throughout the book and himself mm-hmm. right now. He's being removed and isolated yet again. But this time in, like, the station of power... 
that he thought he always wanted, or at least for some reason blindly drove for. I don't, I don't think it was blindly at this point. I think he definitely had a plan going for things, but he's he's been so careless about things. The way he treated uh, or talked about the Atreides men as if like, oh, as long as we, you know, we can buy new things, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like that spitting in Gurney's face right now to just talk about the rain nonchalantly. That's sort of. Well, all right. So that, that one, I don't think it's his fault. That just reveals something. Cause I think of all people, he kind of expects like Stilgar. I've told you so many, you know where I come from. Like I expect you to be above the, you know, you should have that cynical attitude. I do in a way. But to see him, like, just become part of it. You don't think he would have seen, like, different, uh, like, futures or paths where it's just, like, he doesn't turn Stilgar into this uh, worshipping zealot? Oh, that's a good point of, like, should that always temper his surprise at these things? Maybe. I'm just, like, you didn't know this was going to happen in a way. Or was there any way to stop it? Or Probably not at this point. I think it was too far gone. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it definitely is. Uh, and it's just sad to see. It's see, yeah, to see I guess, it happen. Because yeah. there is always that Paul does have an appreciation for like actual now time, mm-hmm. as he like refers to it. Like that is something that's nice to him because it's so different from the other things he experiences. Right. That he, he feels it as different when it's like an actual now. Uh, so maybe that's why it gets colored that way. But it, it says he feels like suddenly this wave of loneliness kind of washes over him. And it's just, yeah, he's removed himself. He's mm-hmm. no longer, I think he's noticing, like, I'm not part of the tribe anymore. Right. I'm something else entirely. The tribe is, like, a vassal of you now. Mm-hmm. And I'm not part of the Imperium anymore. I'm now going to be the Certainly emperor. not. Like, I'm putting myself outside of all of these forces. But you know, maybe that's necessary for what he has to do next. Maybe he has to cut those ties in a way. In, like, again, in the sense of, like, trying to stop the Jihad? Yeah. Yeah. Of like because like that ultimately that's sure. his plan. Yeah, yeah. Or at like, least maybe I can guide it better from this position or something. Yeah. Sure. Ultimately, his goal right now is he knows that if he takes the throne, he could potentially stop the jihad, mm-hmm. and that's the only reason he's going to do it. Everyone else wants him to do it for other reasons. And they know that like that's the, how you're going to keep the peace, Modib. But it's like, yeah, that that's you're not wrong. But really, Definitely. I'm going to keep a lot of other things safe and in check. Yeah, there's a lot of politics involved yeah. uh, in that final decision. Uh, and he just remarks also that the guards are all now. There's an extra like on uh, review kind of posture to them whenever he's in their presence. Yeah. Everyone wants to be noticed by the Moadib now. Everybody <laughs> off into the back hallway. It's like I met him first. <laughs> Do you want exactly. to face Like it's the slightest thing. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we get this little line of Moadib, from whom all blessings flow, he thought. And it was the bitterest thought of his life. They sense that I must take the throne, he thought. But they cannot know how I do it to prevent the jihad. Now, do you think he's insinuating there's no way they could know why I do it? Or they are not, they're not allowed to know why I do it? Uh, yeah, well, again, like, they, the youth, they want to fight. They want that jihad, right? They're the ones pushing it. He's just saying, like, they can't know that I also want to put a muzzle on you guys. I'm like, I want to, I want to take it, but I'm also going to hold you back so bad, and I'm not going to let you do the thing you all want. He's going to Sardaukar them. No, even kind of. I see what you're saying with the Sardaukar, like controlled, but like, yeah, yeah. 
it's just like, it's like whenever the Sato car first hit the scene, whatever that day was like, we're stopping that from happening. Gotcha. Because eventually the Emperor learned the Sato car. We're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta figure something out. So <laughs> this is not gonna work. These are uncontrolled animals. And he tempered them a little bit, gave them a little outburst. Like, yeah, Paul's gonna have to figure something out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we get another messenger, right? We learn the sad news. Ribbon is dead. And not by Gurney Halleck's hands. So he did die out there in the storm. He did. That sucks. I know. (laughs) I'm so sorry, man. You wanted that fight so bad. Oh, Gurney did too. Gurney's as angry as I am. Gurney gets really pissed later on. And uh, I just got to ask you, like, how do you think Ribbon died? We get nothing, so. I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's probably the storm. Oh, I don't know. It's so hard to say because he was on perimeter, right? He was on the perimeter walk. So he heated the action. That was right when they hit. He was on the wall when it exploded. No, no, he wouldn't have been. On, they weren't on the shield wall perimeter because remember that car had to go like the distance right. between to like get through. And if the, if, we, if they would have been on the shield wall, <laughs> that would have been people hit by the yeah. Dude, I was gonna so. say that's breaking the convention. Yeah, yeah, no, but I think he was like whatever that that thousand meter perimeter of the uh, tent. Like he's right there. So I think I he think just got to assume a worm came up and ate him. It just well it crushed him or like shoot half maybe we get an arm of Rabon. we need something to identify Rabon. uh i guess you're right yeah yeah Pre- presumably maybe maybe a puddle is enough maybe we can scan it for dna we're like yeah, maybe that was him um, but yeah I, I think the thing a worm came up in front of him he has like piss his pants in terror oh fremen fall down and maybe just a mob of them and it was just over but poor, we'll never know poor gurney yeah poor gurney he didn't get his shot he was up in the cave with the plunger, nuking a wall when Ravon went down. But there's one Harkonnen left, so <laughs> not going to be him either. Oh, technically, there's a couple left. Uh, who else we got left? Like oh. some offshoot family members? Oh, yeah, you know. Oh, oh yeah, oh. yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> that part of the family. There's a whole wing. That's right. <laughs> one's going to be Emperor. Hey, the Baron got his wish. Either way, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Like, in a lot of ways, the Baron comes out on top. He actually wins. In, in like, the whole series. I think he does. That makes me upset. (laughs) It should, in a lot of ways. He does kind of get the last laugh. Let's switch to Jessica, though. We're going to go into her head for a second. Because all the guards snap aside. And we get the first of many entrances as people start pouring into this great hall. Mm Mm-hmm. Jessica comes in and she's got a, a sandwalk to her, Mike. There's a little yeah. hip hip slide to her. Uh, but Paul also notes that the house has restored some of the old ways. So the Imperium's coming back in too. And uh, she stops in front of Paul, notes his fatigue, doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Just cannot render an emotion for her son. Like, what the hell is going on here? I don't know. Let's shelve Gurney. We got another problem to talk about. Like, what happened? I don't know. Is it because of his actions, or do you think uh, Jessica's just not really capable of doing it at this point? Okay. Like, um, the expense he just went through to get this victory? Yeah, I mean, like, well, you say that, but, like, ultimately, we knew Jessica was sort of planning something similar to this. Yeah. Like you need to like get the Fremen on your side. You need to. We're gonna take back the. Uh... I I don't know if there was as much a confrontation with the Emperor 
but right, she that just might wanted to also get, have been unavoidable. She just wanted to get to the Benny Jessica. I, I think, she, yeah, like, yeah, no, that's a great point too. And I was just going to say, I think she would have been willing to like negotiate with the emperor to some extent or something. I don't think she would have. Well, she might have had some. Again, that. with the Bene Gesserit, like with guys held in Mahayam, like, right? You know, put, uh, putting some weight on some things. Mm-hmm. Who, who knows there? But nonetheless, like, can't render any emotion. I think it's also like think, the scope of his powers. How he overwhelmed her before this mm-hmm. uh, campaign, when he showed her that place, he made her show him how to get there, right? And took her there, like. That was a staggering encounter, and that was something. Uh, would have had that version of Stimpatico, too. I mean, I think she also knows what the plan is, ultimately. I think that she just doesn't feel any compassion for Paul because she knows what his plan is and what he's going to have to do mm-hmm. uh, for his plan to work, and she's not on board for it. That was sort of the antithesis of like what happened between her and Leto. Yeah, and I guess, and a little bit of sense, we are going to see her change a bit of like, she doesn't, she thinks he's going to ice Cheney still. Right? Yeah. Like she's under the impression that Cheney's going to end up in this like uh, blank spot. Yeah. Uh, but she is going to kind of warm at the very end and maybe show a little emotion towards Paul. Cause yeah. Is, right? Like ultimately, yeah. No doubt. But like this is, this is Stark though coming in. She's coming in strong. Uh, Part of it too is like this is the last place she saw Leto. Very good, very good point. Mm-hmm. Lock staring back. I mean, though, that's also probably why she wanted to go to the weird room. I'm like, I need a second. Yeah, uh, just like all by myself because there's a lot in this house. Mm-hmm. Um, she now, uh, like you said, this great hall. Um, she's remembering a lot of things, but they also like it refuses to fit into her memory. And she has this great thought of like, there is a, needs to be a word that is the reverse of a daub, essentially. So this great hall refuses to fit into her memories. And she's just thinking like, you know, I, that she can barely recall ever being here with Leto, ever being here with drunken Idaho. Uh, drunken Idaho. She does say drunken Duncan, but that's just a typo. I think, uh, I think Frank, the entire reason he named him Duncan What's was to get for there? this one line. I did it. The drunken Duncan. I love it. Um, but I like the dissonance she kind of feels back there. And I think uh, her more than Paul wanted to come back to like this house in a way. Because mm-hmm. like there's a lot more importance for her. Like her family was going to be here for a second. She entertained that idea, right? She right. wanted it so bad. And uh, do you think she felt the same uh, loss of connection in the or in the weirding room? Like that same dissonance when she went up there? Maybe. Just like it wouldn't match in even that one. That's why she came down maybe. Just like nowhere in this house can make me feel okay. Possibly. And then maybe that's kind of why she's so emotionally disturbed when she gets here. I don't know because I want to say that I agree with Paul. Like she did go up there in a way to sort of like reminisce about Caladan for a moment. It just Mm -hmm. feels like kind of odd to do. Maybe it's yeah. less about Caladan and more more about uh, the life that they used to have on Caladan, like her, Leto, Paul. Like we didn't have uh, to look behind our back every single day. Mm-hmm. I would also, though, kind of think back to um, Jessica when we went to the bottom of the Cave of Riches. Mm-hmm. She had to hold herself back from like dipping a finger or uh, I think it was a finger or a foot into that water. That basically, because oh. she's like, I really want to. But even then, like, Fought it, knew it would be wrong, and this and that. I wonder if still that's sort of like 
she is always going to have more of a in the imperial inkling to be like, I want water around me right. than anybody else in the series is going to, right? Mm-hmm. Than Paul or like Aaliyah right. or something like that. So maybe it is that simple of just like, yeah, I need I need to just be this opulence that I've never had. I haven't had a bath in years, but like. I love baths. Imagine right? all these uh, past lives going, what the hell? <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah, because they're all Fremen. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, guys, you're going to love this. You're going to love this. <laughs> uh, which they would all know. Just think of all the baths on Wallach 9. Like, there must be hot tubs. Uh, it's just, you've got, you're so close to it. Yet again, you can get the dust off of you for once. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think there's a lot packed in there all at mm-hmm. once. Uh, and that's why she felt that loss of connection. But she resolves that there should be a word for the, like, opposite of a daub, for memories that deny themselves. I like that. That is really cool. Uh, and I kind of agree with her. Uh, I, I can't imagine a personal experience where that's kind of happened, but I can see anything, like, with a traumatic kind of memory like that. of just, like, there must be a phenomenon, and maybe we have documented it at this point. Uh, I just can't like, think of a word off the top of my head. No, no, definitely not. But uh, it's got to be out there. The truth is out there. <laughs> the truth is out there. Uh, now, she gets to a even better point of, uh, where's Leah? <laughs> hey, where's the baby? Yeah. <laughs> Where, where's your sister? And I'm like, you were watching her. And Paul tells her she's out being a good friend. This is going to be the go-to line for this, right? Uh, and Jessica is shocked by his callousness. Or something else. This, this change in Paul, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what was happening there with her before. It's contributing to this. But... Uh, yeah, Ali's going out. She's killing the wounded, marking them for water recovery. Mm-hmm. And then right away, Paul starts this dialogue with her with some like heavy foreshadowing. I absolutely love these lines. This is a really good. Do you want to yeah. read this one? Uh, this one with the understanding out of mm-hmm. kindness. You must understand that she does this out of kindness. Isn't it odd how we misunderstand the hidden unity of kindness and cruelty? That's some good synthetic philosophy right there. It really so like is. like a duality of kindness and cruelty. Where is the line between? Are just two shades of the same color? Well, I mean, it goes on, too. And, like, I uh, will talk about what they discuss in between these two uh, quotes. But I feel like it's important to put this quote alongside the next one mm-hmm. with uh, wisdom tempers love. And it puts a new shape on hate. And how can you tell what's ruthless unless you've plumbed the depths of both cruelty and kindness? I think those two go hand in hand, and you need to have them. Yeah. Um, The little interlude in between just sort of, this is why Paul feels this way. Mm. Which is the fact that he does experience all of these billions of memories and lives. Well, yeah, it makes me think, too, of the giver and the taker. Paul can't do Ooh. one without the other. He can't be cruel without being kind. That's and I don't great. think he can be kind without being cruel. That's a great pickup where I think we can look, look at just back at that Gurney example where we kind of look at him as being cruel to example, uh, cruel to Gurney, but he's looking at stopping the jihad of like, cause I'm trying to be kind to humanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's the two things I'm dealing with. And you just can't even imagine the a second party in like this relationship right. of two things. In this like pairing of causalities, but yeah, I love that. And uh, I've I've always been a big fan of the plumb the depths. Yeah, just like it's a thing not many people ever have to do. <laughs> I bet Frank might know it from the Navy term specifically, if not just as a turn of phrase, mm-hmm. but for actually like having to drop the plumb down to like see how, see how deep the water it is. is or something. It's a very cool and ancient thing, and like I love that it carries through to Dune ten thousand mm-hmm. years in the future. 
Um, I mean, that's just, yeah, that's just his Navy background uh, coming yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, uh, who knows? That's just, uh, it's got to be the most common thing, yeah. just to make sure your ship can go in the water. <laughs> like, do we got enough here? Um, but Jessica, she kind of wonders at this, him alluding or um, talking about cruelty and uh, kindness. Was it the death of little Leto that changed Paul so? What do you think, Mike? No. You don't? No, I think that he had this before. I Once he woke up after the water of life, I think that, that was when it, uh, that's when it sort of came to him. It's just like, I am the fulcrum. Ooh. I can't do one without the other. Yeah. Uh, if you could actually just go to the end of that uh, chapter where we get the message about Leto dying. Uh, and what's okay. the last line in that chapter? Because I recall something about cruelty kind of in there. Um, you can feel the old, ooh, interesting. Oh, I got a good one. Reel it in, reel it in. You could feel the old man wisdom, the accumulation out of the experiences from countless possible lives. Something seemed to chuckle and rub its hands within him. And Paul thought, how little the universe knows about the nature of real cruelty. Now, if we can go back to Jessica's question, do you think it was little Leto's death that <laughs> changed Bob Mike? Would you like to change your answer? <clears throat> now, granted, I think it's that terrible purpose in his goddamn memory that did it, but I think somebody got to, like... There is, like, let's, uh, I'm going to personify it. It's one memory, but mm-hmm. I do mean, like, of all the sorrowful memories are probably joined together in some form, have approached Paul like a jinn and told uh. him, like, we can tell, we can teach you the lessons of cruelty. You know, like, it could show you the breadth of cruelty in the universe. Yeah. You've already seen it. Like, he it, erases you know, it. And that's, I've always looked right. at it as, like, once the child dies, Paul still wants to stop the jihad. But like one hand is off the reins now. Mm-hmm. He's only holding it back with one. He used to have two hands on. And now I think part of him doesn't care because like, look what you did to me. I'm going to hurt you back, but it's going to hurt the universe back. Right. Yeah. I mean, you took its one son. Ooh. So that's a really good pull. No, you're right. And I, I, I love I how the, the wisdom though, that, that paralleled that second part of the quote well, that you brought up, that, right? Like, those, those three like uh, keywords there, wisdom, cruelty, and kindness, those are the big mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we do start that with like, uh, you can feel the old man wisdom of all of these past lives. It's like, oh, shoot. That one, oh, man, that's still like the most foreboding and like ghost-like in him. I'm just like, that one is clearly, that's not terrible purpose. Like, no. that is something else just like chilling in his subconscious. That's Leto. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, oh, they tried to take the life of your son? Like, let's do, do you think that's what it is, those past lives? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like, but it's it's something so primordial in us, right? Of just like any father that's had to deal with that. Right. I think that's all of them kind of just yelling through history well in a way hasn't he isn't he able to look at his father's entire life yeah yeah i guess so we it's sort of like uh, i think take what you will for uh, i mean paul's abilities yeah but, but he can yeah. do whatever he wants apparently no yeah yeah I, I can't tell you yes or no but i think he does he has the male and the female mm-hmm. i just don't know how far through he gets to go for like does he get to see every one of them dies maybe probably maybe not but like just, I don't know, the idea that we know how Leto reacted. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. With Paul like almost he, being he, killed. He can consult him about, yeah. like, Leto right now. Or maybe he just, even, he has a taste of that rage. Mm-hmm. I um, think so. Yeah, no, just the idea that, like, wisdom uh, tempers love and puts a new shape on hate. I love that. Yeah. And that kind of talk, harkens back to how uh, Leto, you know, how Leto did love and how Leto never learned to hate. Oh. Shaped on that. What was that uh, epigraph? 
Uh, so this is a quote from when Gurney first met back up with Paul. They're talking about who the real betrayer was. And Gurney's, I right. think uh, Paul's explaining that it was Yui. I know. Trust me. Don't worry. And uh, Gurney pushes back. He's like, no, no, as, no. I got proof. Put the gun down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the knife in this case. Yeah, <laughs> Paul tells him, my father had an instinct for his friends. He gave his love sparingly, but with never an error. His weakness lay in misunderstanding hatred. He thought anyone who hated Harkonnens could not betray him. So that was like Ooh. Paul being, again, like, uh, so he didn't have a full grasp of hatred. He had a limited view of it. And we always, we touched on how that could have tempered his view of love, too. Right. Because they are like, there's a duality to those, right? Mm-hmm. You might even call it a hidden unity. Ooh, I think I would. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sort of almost lost where we were at that yeah. point. Of uh, Oh, this is all of what changed Paul. I'm yeah. building off of that one quote of the cruelty of like what wisdom, kindness, and cruelty were binding together there. Ooh, okay. Anything else you want to do with that one? No, I mean, that was a bread trail that I'm really glad we followed, though. There were some good quotes so, to pull together. It's hard. I feel like you could make a case that like he was always leading up to this moment, but I agree with you the way it's worded and written down you can't help but believe it's when his son died that something that that's when it snapped mm-hmm. then at least somebody else got a voice in his ear i think it was coming to a head before that though sure definitely like uh, it had to be because yeah. like from the moment he took that water he said like i got a plan right we're doing this right now but uh, i definitely think frank wrote it that way for a reason mm-hmm. and put him in that order yeah, and exactly. exactly like those two things are clearly connected verbally oh yeah uh using the same language so jessica now asks about the legends the fremen tell about paul now uh and all you know good god it's got to be alluding to drums again oh i assume right <laughs> <laughs> like what a crazy legend they're out there and uh paul toys with their here of like ah oh, bene Gesserit should ask about legends and oh. Ooh, a little back and forth. And uh, she starts like an empathetic plea, admitting she's responsible here, but that she doesn't fully understand. And Paul kind of cuts her off, though, uh, before she can say it. And I feel like she's going to be like, but I don't fully understand, you know, not knowing what they were planning. And uh, Paul tells her, how would you like to live billions upon billions of lives? And that's going to be like uh, what you were yeah. to, like all that thing. That's what he's seeing all the time. There's a fabric of legends for you. Think of all those experiences, the wisdom they bring. But wisdom tempers love, doesn't it? And it puts a new shape on hate. How can you tell what's ruthless until you've plumbed the depths of both cruelty and kindness? You should fear me, mother. I am the Kwisatz Haderach. You gotta get there. So... Setting, Jessica tried to swallow in a dry throat. <laughs> I know, I know. Obviously, we're setting aside the previous part, yeah, of it, yeah. but we get it all together now. And it's capstoning that with I am the Quisage Hotter Rock. We've come all so far, Mike. We finally get it. I've had to waffle on this so long mm. with you. Paul is the Quisage Hotter Rock. And hey, there we are from he the epigraph. What's that? I am the Quisage Hotter Rock. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, I can don't got to regard yep. anything. It's the equivalent of Amen. Ooh. Yeah. Now, this is what Paul's power is like. It's now beyond just that full now awareness where he can tell where everything is in the current moment. Like, it's very culminative. And uh, he tables his talk, though, because the emperor is approaching. Just like, don't, don't worry about this. He wants Jessica by his side, and he mentions that his bride will be among them. 
And now this is where we get the Cheney, or Jessica's finally on Cheney's side, apparently. Yeah. And don't know what caused this to happen, but I guess it was Detective Cheney's handiwork of, like, bringing your son back to well, life. Yeah, well, they, they, I think they both figured out how much alike they were in those moments yeah. of uh, crisis. Definitely. And that, like, the whole relationship changed there from yeah. that point on. There was, like, a mutual respect and unity uh, going forward. And Jessica kind of makes this plea, like, don't repeat the mistakes or repeat Leto's mistakes. Pause is like, mistake. She's my key to the throne. And I, I do think they're kind of, no, I think they're talking about two different things here. You're kind of nodding yeah. your head there. But no, I, no, no, you're right. They are talking about different things. Because, like, she does come to agree with him. And I think he's saying, like, no, no she's, she's the and, prop. Cheney's my woman. Right. right. Ultimately, she does side with Paul in the end of all of this. It seems. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh. I mean, cruelty and kindness, man. Yeah. Who's getting which side? Now, we got a very interesting exchange here. Because this is Paul talking about Irulan. It says, she's a princess. She's my key to the throne. And that's all she'll ever be. Mistake? You think, because I'm what you made me, that I cannot feel the need for revenge? Even on the innocent, she asked. And she thought, he must not make the mistakes I made. Oh, now, we mentioned Leto's mistake was obviously reference to her. This is in reference to innocence and harm to innocence. I, I'm thinking she's meaning her, what she did to Paul and Aaliyah. Oh, you mean in sort of like, like I don't understand what you mean. Like, like she, both of those are innocents who she inflicted her decisions on. Oh, okay. and there have been obviously negative re- ramifications for each of them, right? Because right? like she did everything for Leto, and when it came to Paul, yeah, Paul's yeah. supposed to be something completely different, right? Well, even that she had the love for Leto and made that decision to have Paul, she still trained Paul to the Bene Gesserit, right? And still put him on that path, trained him on this program that he had no say in. They did so many things to this boy, like that's what I think she's alluding to. That's a good, catch. Uh, and then obviously the parallel is like. The population, right? Is or I think even more pointedly here, Cheney. Yeah. Cheney being the innocent. You're gonna hurt her by marrying this woman. I mean well, why weren't we thinking about this when it came to the Fremen as a whole? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like uh oh, we're like, so, way too late on this one. We're so close guys. We also have a whole broad concept of all people are equal. Um, but we'll get there, Mike. One day. Okay. One day. Uh Paul tells her there are no innocents anymore. Tell that to Cheney, Jessica said. And she gestured to the passage. And uh, with that, uh, Cheney comes in. Oh. And we have, she is, uh, oh, what is that? She enters and Paul can see there's tears on her cheeks. She gives water for the dead. She cried. Probably for like the second time in her life. Yeah. First time when she was born and today. And uh, interestingly, Paul touches the water from her face, which is something that's happened to Paul a couple times. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he does the ritual properly. He feels grief only through her presence, which is interesting. Like, there's a lack of emotion in Paul that's been drained out. Well, he's also sort of, uh, I think he's doing what he did with his dad, where it's like, yeah, I know i got to mourn, but now is not the time to mourn. That's your little compartmentalization. Yeah. And we life. know he, he is capable of that. And it's not that he doesn't care, but he does know that, like, this is not the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is holding himself under very stiff control. And he just tells her he cannot be replaced, but there will be more sons. This is Usol that is speaking to you. 
Like, I'm telling you, there's like three different versions of Paul going on right now. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of Pauls in that head. Uh, but we can't really have time for this personal moment. Still yeah. still guard interrupts of all people. Godfather to Cheney interrupts. Mm. Uh, but Paul already knows the emperor and his people are about to enter and still guys just like, why am I here? What is my job today? <laughs> Every time I come over here, just to build the myth of the Lisan Agaib, because the Fremen are odd and muttering. Yeah. He knew again. <laughs> he doesn't need a secretary. <laughs> and, uh, you can hear the Sadakar coming before they show up and they're just humming a marching tune as they make their way through the halls. I imagine little drums and flutes going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very like a Civil War yeah, kind of exactly. like going into town. Uh, all their tattered buff bodies. <laughs> like, <laughs> a little bandage over one of their eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Gurney enters first. He's in a huff because he has seen a Harkonnen. And uh, Paul interprets this as Gurney potentially being another creature of the Moadib, though. I coming in just this pack animal wolf, right? Like I don't think that's possible. I think Gurney is loyal, but uh, he's not going to be friends with Paul like he was friends with Leto. You, you know what? It's like because Gurney has the selfish drive. His motivation is always for him to kill Harkonnens and get revenge. Yes. Through the Atreides. And I'm a perfectly loyal servant. I'm never going to backslide to you. But, like, because I want to kill Harkonnens. And yeah. you're going to give me that, right? Yeah. Well, there was not, an exchange to that relationship. Yeah, well, totally. But it's not just that. It's also people. Duke Leto came and he rescued people and said, hey, I'll help you kill as many Harkonnens as you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, hell yeah, I'm on board. Damn right he is. Uh, Ballot set in a pension. We're, let's go. Let's <laughs> That's go. all I need. It really, I'll just take the ballast set. Uh, but Gurney, he tells us he personally has checked this group for weapons, for throwing weapons in particular. So if Gurney's checking a Sardaukar, I'm pretty sure that he, he's convinced. He's convinced, yeah. He's and a defanged uh, Sardaukar. Well, I mean, specifically just throwing weapons. So I think he knows, like, they got all the sugar wire in the world. Uh, they got all the little mm-hmm. bits to make their transmitter, but they don't have throwing knives. Because that one knife from the Sietch, yeah, that's what almost did it in. We're not doing that again. Fool me once. And uh, I love this question that he asked them. And this is very much like a please, please, Dad. Because he's like, should I take fade out of the whole group altogether? <laughs> should I just, like, choke him in the back hallway? <laughs> and, like, just throttle this kid in the side? Um, and also, he has a message that the guild wants special treatment. They threaten an embargo. And Paul's uh, just like... Blizzard's rolling his eyes like, God, Guild. He, he's like, Guild, they really? They, they bothered? Still, it's like a little yappy puppy. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, don't worry about that, whatever. And Paul, Jessica hissed behind him. He's talking about the Guild. And he's like, yes, I will pull their fangs presently. <laughs> Hold on. I love that line. Uh, like, yeah, we're going to completely emasculate the guild here. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul has a great thought about the guild and that they are just a parasite that never dared to grasp the sword. And now it's too late. Yeah. And he, it's this, I like that it's too late. It's reckoning that there was a moment. Not like in this battle, but just within all of history. Well, like, I think early I think, on um, uh, when they were starting out. Right, right. When it was just them. Before anybody else knew about it, they could have taken this. It could have been theirs. Could have been their secret. No one had to know. I mean, that's but, the thing. Like, no, they control who goes to Arrakis. Exactly. Like, yeah. Why didn't they? And he's like, they wanted to be safe. They wanted to play it close to the cuff, just in case. The guild navigators, gifted with limited prescience, had made the fatal decision. They'd chosen always the clear, safe course that leads ever downward into stagnation. Let them look closely at their new host, Paul thought. 
Love it. That's how he feels about that. Mm-hmm. Problem solved. Now, Kearney also tells Paul there's a reverend mother, a friend of Jessica. And Paul, like, cuts in. And, like, <laughs> he very much is going to be speaking for Jessica going forward. And it's sort of, I've, I feel it must be, like, um royal pro- procedure or something of just like, this is just how you remain control. Like right. Paul is the one you're all talking to. Don't worry about anyone else here. This is the source of all power and they're all playing their roles right now. But Paul interjects like my mother has no Bene Gesserit friends. <laughs> just, Ooh, even Margaret. Come on. Um, I mean, that, that was more the Bene Gesserit, uh, Margo speaking to Jessica in that letter. Yeah. 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 Sure. 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 Um, but it's basically, this letting us know, Jessica is broken from the Bene Gesserit. Whatever she wanted before is off the table now. Yeah. And she doesn't protest, right? And uh, Garni has one last bit of news. Thufir Hawat is there as well. <gasps> yeah. And he signaled that he needs to be left in the pack. So Garni left him there. Paul's a little like, what? Why didn't you get Thufir? He's like, he told me not to get, did you not listen to what I just <laughs> told you? <laughs> Follow me, Emperor. Um, and Paul, he gives us a little vision of a future where, uh, Thufir is going to try to kill him at the Emperor's behest. One of the many levels yeah. of treachery that we got here, right? Because he's another upstart Duke. I love that. Another upstart Duke. Love that turn and of phrase. doing it with a poison needle too. Yeah. Classic. Come mm-hmm. on. Who's, who doesn't like a good poison? Bringing needle? it full circle. How many poison needles have we had Actually, that, that fail? They all fail. We haven't had one succeed. There's mm-hmm. the one in the boy. Uh, didn't Fade have one too? No, there was one in the gladiatory guy that Fade fought, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, he didn't have one in his leg? No, I don't think so. Okay. He was just poisoned beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was talking about the Gom Jabbar though, like bringing it back full circle. Oh, oh, uh, oh, like when we talked to, uh, guys, yeah. yeah, 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 that's good. Uh, which, hey, that's three Gom Jabars. <laughs> well, they're not all Gamjavars. Who knows? Oh, I mean Elias. Oh, she that's got her, right. She got shit off that one. Uh, but now, enter Shaddam and uh, the guards of the corridor. They form a corridor of lances, right, for our beloved Padishah Emperor. He still gets his title for a little bit longer. We get to the excerpt from last week where he comes in tattered. His hat's missing. One <laughs> sleeve's kind of torn down, right? But he's got this air of bravura, which I love that he it's like a bubble around him. You can strip him naked and he probably would still walk like this and mm-hmm. have this presence. And I'm like, that's got to speak to him. I think of all things, like, he's still an okay emperor. Like, at playing the game. He's not mm-hmm. morally good or anything. But, like, he's clearly meant for this job. He can do it. He's got presence. Mm-hmm. And, uh... I love that it's a Fremen lance that stops him 10 paces and the group bunches up behind him. I like to think this was done in the most insulting way possible, like slap to the chest kind mm-hmm. of as soon as he got to 10 paces. Like I didn't even realize the Fremen had lances until this. Like this is, this is the only thing we use them for. <laughs> we just slap around emperors. <laughs> this is my emperor's slapping lance. <laughs> yeah. I keep it on the wall at all times. I mean, like, today. you would save this lance, emperor, right? <laughs> oh, but, yeah. Oh, no, I fucking slapped it. And then I would build this story up of, like, I beat <laughs> the him. The legend. <laughs> yeah. I tripped him and just, like, slapped him over the head. Uh, but, yeah, we got this lance. We stop him. Paul looks over the group. And all the lackeys, these nukers that we had, you know, the relatives and stuff, are all in stunned silence and shame defeat. Mm. Guy as hell and behind him is there with bright bird eyes. 
We're keeping that was the last time, or no, way back in like chapter three, we had that image of her, yeah, kind of bird of prey looking down. And Fade Routha, who Paul had seen many times in Prescience off to the side. Time had betrayed his face to him. Yep, one too many times. And then there's one face, Mike. One face, however, that he has never seen before. This got me off guard. This is so good. He looked beyond Fade Routha then, attracted by a movement. Seeing there a narrow, weaselish face he'd never before encountered. Not in time or out of it. It was a face he felt he should know, and the feeling carried with it a marker of fear. That's a Kwisatch Haderach red flag right there. That, yeah, right? I'm just <laughs> like, uh... you're going through the Emmanuel. What do I do when I don't know a face? Because that's not Troubleshooting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where was that in the tent? <laughs> Ooh, I feel like Henry Fenring has it. Like, looking for this? <laughs> but Paul turns to Jessica to ask, like, uh, hey, Mama, see that guy there? Who's that? And again, this should be red flag for Jessica. I'm just like, excuse me? Why don't you know somebody here? <laughs> but she just tells them, that's Count Hazemir Fenring, Derek's favorite character. Genetic... <laughs> I don't think she says that. <laughs> no, gen... <laughs> genetic eunuch and a killer. She doesn't know to his job, though. Love it. I love Fenring. But the, like, what a great enigmatic way for him to show up on the scene. Oh, yeah. Right? That's vicious. Just the idea like, Wait, who is that? Who is this? And why doesn't Paul know him? I mean, he just mm-hmm. only to have it replaced with just a sense of fear. I love so how great. he even says, like, the evil looking one. <laughs> who yeah. is that guy? <laughs> like, Paul Color. Yeah. After Gurney just described Fade as, like, the evilest looking face there. <laughs> He's like, no, no, no. The evil one. <laughs> that one. And uh, he recalls all the time in his visions he had seen the Emperor, and Fenring was never there. Probably like the emperor confiding in a corner to nobody. Oh, like, just this emperor is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Just like, like all these things. This is like the person's right around the corner. Maybe you mm. see a shadow cast on the floor. Oh. Be so cool. But then he also recalls all the times he saw his dead body, but not the moment of death. Yeah. Because it's Fenring who killed you. Yeah. The true Kwisatz Haderach. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't quite happen. Um, Paul thinks to himself, have I been denied a glimpse of the man because he's the one who kills me? Now, forcing his attention off Fenring, he's able to look over the Sadokar, but he has to really wrench that focus off. Like, he is yeah, captivated that's kind this. of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. Uh, but these Sadokar we have here, they haven't given up Jesse yet, Mike. They're, look, they're looking around, seeing yeah. like, what can we do? What can we do? Is there any weakness in the room? Did they leave anything hanging? Can we kill one person here and maybe get a victory just yet? Mm-hmm. And I bet Paul just, like, like, humors that. I'm like, okay, I'll let you guys keep, keep looking. <laughs> like, you're really, you're not going to matter. Then his attention came at last to a tall, blonde woman, green-eyed, a face of patrician beauty, classic in its haunter, untouched by tears, completely undefeated. Wow, Ooh. what a description. Yeah. And so, I mean, this really makes up for, like, she was red-faced and, like, exhausted last mm-hmm. time. She'd run into that room, and now it's like she's composed herself. Nothing that's passed has mattered to her. She's just been patiently waiting to play her role. Yeah. Because, is... yeah, I think even she knows what her, like, what the next step in this plan is going to be. Yeah, yeah. Better than Shaddam would have an idea. Yeah. Like, she's put, she's seen the cards on the table. And we get her full title, Princess Royal, Bene Gesserit Trained. A face, trin, uh, a face that time vision had shown him 
in many aspects, Irulan. And just to ah. call it back, Princess Royal. Yeah, that was the thing Royal. way back that yeah, we touched we, on. we didn't know we were... To signify she is the daughter uh, heir. That's really cool. Very cool. And the oldest of all of them. There's my key, he thought. That's good. Reduce her down to a thing, Paul. (laughs) You just do with everyone this chapter. Now, let's enter another character, Mike. All right. We we, we still got room in this great hall. I think we can fit a few more people in. I didn't notice him walk in. He was so stealthy like a kitty cat. Like a kitty cat. (laughs) Howlot enters. (laughs) And Paul sees Thufir. And he beckons that Thufir stand free here. Gurney's a little reluctant, but obviously he yields. And Paul's like, no, let let Howlot stand free. Howat shambles because he's feeling this poison withdrawal already. Yeah. Lord knows where the fuck they got him from. I don't know. Wherever the Baron had him stashed after the Baron died. Yeah, uh, that's they, a really good question. Yeah, because the Baron didn't tell the Emperor. He lied. I don't understand that. So maybe Nafud went and got him. I hope Nafud's Is still Nafud alive. alive. He's not been told dead. Um, so <laughs> okay, vacation on two pile. He scoops up some spice on the way out. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm getting out of here. I so much samuta. Yeah. Oh god, that's probably what he would do too. He's gonna end up on Kaitan in a gutter. <laughs> um, but yeah, we bring him out. Hawat's gaze, uh, gaze stabbed past Paul. The old man said, "Lady Jessica." I've but learned this day how I've wronged you with my thoughts. You needn't forgive. Paul waited, but his mother remained silent. Love Ooh. that. First order of business. I got Atreides businesses settled that my Duke would care about, right? This is something that like kind of involves Leto. Yeah. Supersedes all things. I'm dying. I just I'm out love the that. door. He stares past Paul. Yeah. Just disregards the young lad. You know, hey, this this is a, a win, I think, out of totally. all the terrible things that ha- have of, happened. Of all the character relationships, yeah. these are two people that finally, when both, like, as they pass, are on good terms with one another. There's mm-hmm. no anchor between them. Like, I feel like there was still a little bit between Jessica and Idaho. He never got to apologize for following her in this or that. Like, mm-hmm. this is resolved. This is perfect. Um, Paul approaches him and... I love it. Where he tells him, I haven't been sitting with my back to a door. Look at this chair I've been sitting in through fair, <laughs> carefully selected. And oh, what's response? Greeted up. This is some Zen Sunni wisdom again. The universe is full of doors. So good. It was like, yeah. Keep your eyes out always. It's <laughs> like, that's great, but don't stop now. Mm-hmm. Am I my father's son? Paul asked. Oh my and God. Now we, well, this is like, I love this theme that's coming up. This is the like, third time we've heard, or no, we're we, going to, we're going to hear Jessica say it for the third time. Jessica's mentioned it. I think you and I even said the, like, he like exuded, he, uh, exudes the air of like, the, but, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, of the grandfather. Right? Yeah. The grandfather. Uh, but, but of all people, how it's the only one who actually met yeah, him and knew him so personally. Yeah. Like, he was Leto, his personal mentat. And Leto was born while, yeah, he was working with him, right? Like, Leto is an after, after fact. Uh, something I'll do because I love this guy. We know so, Leto's like 50 years old or something like that, right? Uh, oh, yeah, I, I don't remember the exact date, but right around there. Yeah, around yeah. there, 40 or 50. Yep. Uh, not, not the longest life, definitely. No. Like, his father got a few more out of him. But I, I just love that, yeah. So you, you've uh, his manner and the look of him in your eyes. But again, I don't think that's a compliment for it's how not. much we know I, how idolized uh, Leto was. 
There is like a ruthlessness to uh, old Minotaurus, uh, who Frank doesn't even name. Because we got to pull that from <laughs> well, the, the, the Not just the ruthlessness, uh, a show of force. A, a, he does, like a yeah. carelessness almost, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a better way of You're thinking that, of the Corita, for I, sure. I am thinking of the Corita, but like it's not just the Corita. We just know that because like that's the metaphor we're always given to yeah. best like personify him. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what he was really like outside of that Corita. Was he all was he the same way in his day-to-day policies, the way he spoke with people within the Imperium? Even right. guys telling Mahai was just like the bravura of that man. Yeah, like there was something about him. There's a confidence, yeah, like uh, to the point of like pushy almost. Probably, and, like that's what I get. I'm like he would be like someone I would probably want in small doses, but would like <laughs> it would always be fun to be around yeah, him for the yeah. night. Uh, but like, after a while, they, you're just like, don't hang out uh, with him on a Monday night. Like maybe a Friday night. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's a weekend friend. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I also think he has to have had that like discipline and ethic to him, uh, like a very militarized right. kind of, to an extent. Uh, mm-hmm. That that's what he passed down to his son. Uh, but yeah, again, the, the old Duke, he keeps coming back and more and more we're told that's who Paul is, not Leto. Mm-hmm. Leto is somebody else, his own man. Oh, interesting. Because if you, uh, per what I said earlier, like he would know all of Leto's lifetime. He would also know all of Minotaurus's life, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a cool thing to think about. Yeah. And again, something I kind of wish we did. Yeah. I, I wish that cop shoehorned in or like was part of it but it's i like, mean i like, wouldn't say it's a missed opportunity because i do like how big it is but at the same time yeah. i do want to know yeah, yeah it's just like wishful thinking yeah of like it would just be it would be great if this book could be infinite uh that, yeah that'd be the next for chapter my own like for my own sake i really want to know but it would detract from the book as a whole i think if they added it in this chapter sure sure you, you gotta apply that uh theater the way of the knife somehow mm-hmm. mm. now, attitude of the knife attitude knife. thank you very much uh, with this, Paul tells Sufir, look, if you need my life, this payment for the service you've given my family for all these years, it's yours. And he means it entirely. And in this, Thufir knows his treachery is exposed, but he's not like that surprised by it. Mm-hmm. Just, just like, oh, these are trainees, they get me every ah, time. trained him well. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, it probably makes him proud because I was thinking that not knowing what Paul's powers are, I wonder if he just is like, ah, oh, a good mentat summation. I've taught you well. Mm. Like, this is a re- just a reflection of your natural skills. Right. Because he he had no idea what the Bene Gesserit could do. I don't think he's expanded his horizon anymore in confinement. Right. That he's I, still, I mean, like, I think he would have a field day with Paul. It's like, you could do what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like, does everyone have super gurney? What can you do? What can you do, gurney? I love that. <laughs> Wait, I know how could kill Sonokar? What what is everybody doing? Why are we training this army then? I can read books and that's my power. Yui. Oh he doesn't want to know what you no. Yui apparently had true sense. Apparently, oh god, yeah. you're right. He like or a, a very basic understanding of it. Enough that would blow Hawan's <laughs> mind. No. I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> but how, how's that for final thoughts in your life? Yeah, well, let's get to Hawat's final thought. Because he tells him, I but wanted to stand before you once more, my duke. And we're saying that, Mike, that's the last of the Atreides retainers. They all saw him as duke. Idaho saw my duke. Gurney was reunited with my duke. Thufir has seen his duke. 
That's true. That's awesome. It's weird, though, because in a weird way, I don't think he's talking to Paul. I think he's talking more to the station of Duke Atreides. Uh, yeah, I think I think I agree that like I I think in like in that se- in that moment he's once again working for the Atreides, which yeah. is what he always wanted, and that's how he would want to die, right? Mm-hmm. He wouldn't want to die with this black stamp of like Harkonnen or uh, Imperial control. Yeah. Like, I, I I think you're kind of right that it's not it's not about Paul, right? It is about like the Duke, mm-hmm. just in general. I think I think you got that perfectly there. Because uh, with that, the uh, Paul becomes aware of the effort this man's exerting. He goes up and he supports him by his shoulders. And Hawat just sort of like sags into Paul's body, right? Yeah. And uh, I think uh, he asks him if there's any pain. Hawat tells him there is, but the pleasure is greater. And he half turned in his arm, arms and he just uh, holds his palm up. And there's a needle in his palm, which he shows to the emperor. Yeah. And see, Majesty, see your traitor's needle. Do you think that I, who've given my life to service of the Atreides, would give them less now? Hell yeah, Hawat. And uh, take note, Yui. That's yeah, how you do it. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> <laughs> Yui. <laughs> That's how you pull this shit off when no one gets hurt. Paul lowers Hawat to the floor, and he signals guardsmen to remove him. And there is just silence in this chamber while this is happening. And the greatest mentat in the universe is taken out. That's for us all. Ridiculous. That's how it's life. That's also uh one uh one X on Shadam's board of Chetri. It's running out of Chetri cards. Yeah, yeah, it's not going well. No. Three you're out. <laughs> yeah, three so, you're out. Uh, you better pull one of these off. <laughs> All that planning, the guy's held behind it. It, did, it was pretty short. Um, so that was uh, one of the emperor's, uh, one of his last attempts that I would classify as low-hanging fruit. Of like, well, like you had to try the needle. Yeah, yeah. You had to try just asking Paul for the mm-hmm. empire back and be like, maybe you go home? And he's yeah. just like, what? <laughs> uh, not emperor says what? And, uh, <laughs> What? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Legally binding. <laughs> Write it down, guys, Ellen. Um, but I agree. But you got to try. You got to try. try. You got everything on the line. Uh, a look of deadly waiting held the emperor's face now. Eyes that had never admitted fear admitted it at last. Well, yeah, he was kind of counting on like, got through fear, do something. Yeah, and again, that's why I said that was the last low-hanging fruit. Everything else that he planned is like, Far out there if it's going to work. These yeah. are Hail Marys. To get that dagger in a fight is all happenstance. Right now, mm. it's just some Fremen's holding it. They took it when he came in. He's mm. probably like, oh, I won't get to stab somebody with the poison blade. Uh, like, it's all up in the air. Well, no, I, I do think uh, I think that was planned. I don't think that was just but random. How it orchestrates up, though, if he didn't yell Conley, Gurney could have killed him, or Paul could have had a lackey do it. Because everybody in Paul's party was saying, like, don't, don't. No, I think that that was part of the plan, you too. You think part of Okay. Yeah, I think that was part of the treachery. Let's, let's, let's hold that one off for the second part uh, when we get to okay. the actual duel aspect, though. Um, so with this, like I said, the Emperor, he's going to take he's gonna take every swing he can, Mike. Yeah. And he's like, look, the uh, the convention has been broken. Um, uh, how That's really bad news for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This is, 
I love it. That's oh, my favorite attempt that he like makes. It's like so weak. Yeah, it's like it's so even he knows it's half-hearted. I'm just like, come on. And Paul's response though is so great. He's like, I used atomics against a natural feature of the desert. It was in my way, and I was in a hurry to get to you, Majesty, to ask for your explanation for some of your strange activities. Shaddam uh he's about to get word of the Armada in space. Um you know, he's like, what about everybody up there then? There's a whole group of ships. The land's red. Mm-hmm. And Paul singles out these uh, guild agents there. <laughs> oh, uh, I forgot about that. <laughs> tall guy, short guy, both fat. Come here. And uh, he doesn't... I kind of wish that was the real dialogue. It's <laughs> just like, yeah, it's very quick move. He basically just send them all home and you'll ask my permission. And they're like, excuse me? <laughs> this kind of gets cut off by this guildman, the taller one. And, well, uh, now they're going to try and save face. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is funny because they, they've already seen this play out in their head a little bit of, like, what everything means. I think that's the bit of, like, what we don't know how, what good their prescience is. I yeah. don't think they get that fine a grain of, like, every word. Like, I think that's reserved for kind of Paul or else maybe they would have seen this coming because Paul backslaps Well, maybe it's hard. one of those things where they, like, they do see the possibilities, but until they establish the now as... Yeah, like yeah. permanence. Kind of a thing. Yeah. Because, like, Paul just told him, if I hear any more nonsense from either of you, I'll give the order that will destroy spice production on Arrakis forever. And the guy's like, are you mad? Mm-hmm. He's like, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> you have no idea what's going on in here, do you? <laughs> like, pointing at his forehead. <laughs> yeah, that Lado manicness showing. I'll fucking him. do it. <laughs> you want to hear about spice they plastic? They took the life of my son. <laughs> exactly, man. And uh, he just forces them, like, you... You grant I have a power to do this thing. And they, the guy, like, looks off. And this is where he goes into Brassians. So, like, hmm. this is how it works for them. Yeah. So, it, he is able to do it at, like, will. But it, there's something vague to it where clearly he didn't do every conversation. But he hmm. just looks down this thing. And it's probably Paul right now is focusing, like, go get, like, I'm making the order in my head. Like, I'm acting like I'm going to do this. This future is becoming very more prominent because he's about to do the action. And all of a sudden, that's all the guild can see. Well, I think that that's the point, too, where uh, you have to mean it. You have to be willing to do it mm-hmm. and pull that trigger. And I think the fact that his son did die, I think that probably does make it easier. Well, it makes it easier. But, like, the gravity of it is that much more uh, pressing on the guild. Because, mm-hmm. like, this is a man that's, like, lost almost everything. He does not care. No. He, he even says, like, I might even do it out of spite. That's my favorite bit. <laughs> uh, we're in here. So uh, they push a little bit back and forth, and the um, shorter one is just like, what? but we'll all go blind, and we'll all, everyone will slowly die. And Paul goes, huh, the eye that looks ahead at the safest course is closed forever. The guild is crippled. Humans become little isolated clusters on their isolated planets. You know, I might do this thing out of pure spite, Red of Enoir. Now, Enoir, do you know what that is? No. A feeling of listlessness and dissatisfaction arising from a lack of ac- occupation or excitement. Jesus. So, like, even more, I think, on cue for spite of just being, like, boredom. Like, sheer boredom. Because I've seen all the other avenues, maybe that one is just interesting. Oh, my God. Now. Well, according to him, with the Gill's viewpoint, like the way they've treated Spice, they're down a route of stagnation anyways. It's they're like, what is course. this going to do anyways? <laughs> like, nothing nothing gained, nothing lost in this. Yeah. The safer course is going to be like the foundation of Paul's choices, of like avoiding it. 
mm-hmm. of like, you don't do that. And that's why I kind of told you about this. The golden path is sort of like the opposite of it, but the cost of going down that is even really great that Paul's not going to make it. And so Paul's going to try to always find like this third option. Mm-hmm. It's like he wants the perfect path. Right, right, right. There is no perfect in the universe, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't Paul shown us this the whole way through? Yeah, when we were talking about the Alam Al-Mathal, isn't that the the whole argument we got into? Yeah. Like that it's the realm of perfects and we live in the realm of imperfects? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Everything is uh, aspiring to that. Now, uh, the tall one tries to delay things. He goes, look, look, look. Let's have a little sidebar. Let's have a little talk over some spiced coffee. We'll go reach, <laughs> we'll reach a compromise. How does that sound? <laughs> Paul's like, do this now. You can even use my phone, which Look, I've set up a phone right there. Place. What are the odds that would be set up? <laughs> We've got all this fancy com equipment. <laughs> it's been set up since the beginning of the chapter. Uh, and fear finally overwhelms them. They, they huddle over there. I, I I love the fact that you get to see that for us that of just like, man, wouldn't it be great if we had some com equipment set up right in this room? Yeah, and clearly the Fremen must be muttering, he knew they needed com equipment. Oh, <laughs> yeah, in the corner. <laughs> They totally will be, though. He didn't get the unlimited plan. <laughs> he knew. The Mahdi. Uh, Gurney turns to ask, like, while these guild guys walk away, like, are they going to obey? And Paul tells him, like, they have a very narrow vision of time. They see ahead to a blank wall marking the consequences of disobedience. Every guild navigator on every ship over us can look ahead at that same wall. They'll obey. But here's the thing. They're also going to take the safest path they can. The guild doesn't gamble. Exactly. No, no. And like, yeah, there's either a future or there's not. And I just love the idea that you think about them seeing a blank wall, though, is uh, consider how scared Paul had been at not seeing parts of the future. Mm-hmm. This is probably the first time they're experiencing that. Their they, entire organization. And, like the keystone of the organization. Right, right. And these are men that have been like, but they've been pressing it their whole lives. Right. Doing this, like, it's part of their job. And now, all of a sudden, you go to look into the future, and it's just blank. So, the difference between navigators and steersmen. Steersmen are the mutated ones? Um, uh, I think, no, it sort of seems like it's thrown around interchangeably. So, like, like, we're going to, hold up, in Messiah, we meet a navigator who is changed and in like the bubble thing. So it just has to do with how long they've been doing it. Probably. I th- I, well, Cause like th- it, it seems to me like these two would also like, uh, go into that spice tank when they need to, you know, be no, 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 off. you are like, you have fins. Right. Like these guys have contacts, Mike. I mean, like when you're in the thing, you got fins, like you don't come out of the tank. Okay, so is that just inevitability? Like, you eventually you have to go to a tank Maybe because the, nothing else is going to... But it, No, but it is supposed to be two different ranks, and I'm just not very clear on that distinction of it, where it is like one of them basically guides the ship normally. Mm-hmm. When they fold space, that's the other one. So, like, I guess if we... have, Do they call these guys navigators? Yeah. They did. Then I think it must be steersmen are the transformed ones. That would okay. make sense. Uh, but, like, basically one does steer the ship normally, and then the other steers it through fold space. Okay. And that is like the two distinctions of their job titles. Interesting. Uh, but I'm pretty sure we call the guy we meet a uh, a navigator. 
but I wonder, maybe that's overarching. I'll, I'll maybe, get an answer think, for you. Yeah. Uh, I'll look into it before our next episode. How about okay. that? Before we get out of this book, I'll try to nail down <laughs> who these bastards nail in this room Nail it down. Are. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, from I'm the very, movie, sorry. I've seen what they look like. They look fucking weird, man. Yeah. Definitely. And that, I, that's why I know that. One of my biggest problems, like, with the start of that. Did not like it. Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's so oh, good. Oh, they, I love it. I love I this it. guy vacuuming up spice. <laughs> yeah. So good. <laughs> Uh, let's go on with this though, because we got some cool guild information that pops right, out here. All right, Paul asserts that the guild permitted Shaddam to take the throne. Ooh, and I I don't really even know how that works into the plot as we know it thus far, though. Is it necessary for that to be for that line to be there? I don't know. Oh, do you think it is? I don't know. In it the, didn't seem like it. Well, we know the Bene Gesserit have their like plan in place, Man. and we knew that. Uh, Hasmir Fenring killed Elrude. So I'm like, I don't even know how the guild factors in is all. Exactly. Like, when did you guys put your two cents in? Because, like, I don't recall. But everyone's got their their hands in the, They're the emperor's honeypot. We all got plans within plans. And I'm just like, but we've never talked about what the guild did. So mm-hmm. I don't know how they play. I mean, uh, I guess ultimately they always have a level of control because no one can do anything. Like, all commerce is done without them. For sure, for sure. I think they get consulted. Yeah. Like, uh, they, they got to at least speak like, their piece. Shum, uh, give us uh, three sentences. What are you going to do with your rule of emperor? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How's that chom going to go? Uh, and, like, Shaddam is obviously offended by this. No one permitted. And Paul's just like, stop playing the fool. The guild is like a it's village like, beside sh- a river. The adults are talking right now, emperor. <laughs> yes, let me let me give this little metaphor to explain it in simpler terms for you. Because uh, I love that, like, so the guild uses this thing of, like, they take water from the river. They can only take a little bit, though. They can't build a dam up because then everyone would know they're taken from the river. Mm-hmm. And they want to keep that to themselves. Uh, they don't ever want to draw focus on what they take. But then Paul's like, the spice flow, that's the river, and I've built a dam. But my dam is such that you cannot destroy it without destroying the river. Yeah. Awesome. You get that, Emperor? Does that make sense (laughs) to you? (laughs) So I, but that's still one of those weird things where I'm not 100% sure I understand or get why they do that. Because if they just took the spice, like Paul said, they could have grasped the sword and had it all. Yeah. And then just not tell anyone about the planet Arrakis that it exists in any facet, then they would have never had to worry about this. Totally. Like, I don't get it. You control transportation. Yeah, it's like you you don't have to worry about people looking at the dam because the dam doesn't fucking exist. You literally can't be invaded. Yeah. Uh, If anything, it just would have put them too central to the politics of the Imperium. Do you think it was just for the fact, like... uh, do you think it was about money in the end? Because the fact that the spice is worth so much is what sort of drives a lot of these costs up. That's why the guild can charge an arm and a leg well, for no, a passage. I, I don't think they give a shit about money at all. Then, okay. I think they only care about, like, the science, the secrets, and, like, the spice. Okay. Why do they care about the spice? Just for you, travel? Yeah, you, you need it to do the science that the... Um, what was it, the uh, Mystic Mariners established? Right, right. Like, that built these whole fold space machines and became the guild? Like, that's all dependent on spice. However right, spice right. came So this was all just for transport among places, and we did yeah. transport for commerce. Uh, or was there well, another reason for transport? Well, I mean, partly was, like, they just love the spaceships and shit. 
and the exploration that came with it. I, go, I like, fucking hate the guild so much right now. That was part. That, I mean, you, but you get it, like that is part of the shipbuilding, right? Yeah, yeah. I agree that there is like a. I I guess I'm looking at the money component as a means to an end because they just want to do the space stuff, but I don't think they're stopping everything they're doing to get an extra chome stock, like the emperor would. Right. I mean, I guess they can't make more ships without money. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, you know, there's a necessity just to live. In the same way there is for spies. Oh, my God. But no, I mean, because we get to this chicken and egg scenario. Of like, I mean, uh, you're kind of right. You're kind of right. I don't but... get, they were the first ones there. They're the only ones that can get you there. Why didn't they take it? Because then Frank couldn't have read this cool book, man. <laughs> it would, it would have been a lot more boring. No, but no, you do, I mean... I guess ultimately you do make a great point. It's like what they wanted to do, they wanted to travel. They couldn't expand upon that or evolve further without having the money and funds to do it, so. It's sort of putting it all on, if we just leaning on the encyclopedia, like Josta Mason personally. Mm -hmm. Like it was the actions of an individual that shaped it this way. And I mean, that's not unfathomable for how the courses of history unfold. Or how, I mean... It told us the is it a person or the event, Mike? Because of Moadiv and the God Emperor, we know it's the person. <laughs> <laughs> Question <Yeah>. established. <laughs> uh, so it, it just Josta Mason was the one in the chair making the decision at the time. All right, he chose not to. My, I guess my ultimate sort of uh, just so we can move on. I'm just gonna say, I think they probably did it like share the spice for the money in order to keep doing their ship stuff. Sure. Otherwise they totally could have had it for themselves. Um, if anyone has a better idea, please let me know. Cause I honestly have no idea right yeah. now. Oh man. I like to think it's lost in a staff meeting and it's one of those things that look like, why didn't we do that? We yeah. could have, we could have had this acquisition done years ago. <laughs> like, yeah. But let's table that mic. Cause now another person gets their spotlight. <gasps> Guys, hell am I am. Oh, she's <laughs> back. She is. It's only been a chapter. Uh, <laughs> she was tearing down the or the Baron yeah, last time. Yeah, it's the first time uh, Paul has uh, had yeah. a little. Well, well now we turn the tables. She was just dressing down the Baron. Now Paul's going to be hitting her pretty hard because mm -hmm. uh, he turns to attack the Bene Gesserit. We've put the guild in their place. We've kept the Emperor a little cornered. We need to tear down this institution. And uh, he points out, your truth sayer is, is trembling. Now Paul addresses her. It's been a long time since Caladan. And she, like Hawa, is going to look past Paul, and she's going to talk to Jessica now. I'm just like, Ooh. a lot of people are doing this. A little power move. So, uh, Jessica, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, we've had a little bit of a change of heart about Aaliyah, uh, because now she's seen that Paul is the one. She's like, you can be forgiven for this, and even near this abomination, a daughter of yours. That's uh, That's kind of big. Or do you think she's really grasping for straws? No, I think it's big. Okay. I think it's like, she hadn't seen Paul yet. That's I think true. I think she just had to be in his presence to see right. Oh, like, right. oh fuck! Because she was in the presence of Aaliyah and like saw all of this stuff that was involved with her. Like knew exactly what she was. Yeah, and you're right. I guess just being in the presence of Paul, she's having that same kind of uh, realization. But maybe uh, we probably shouldn't throw away. There's definitely got to be treachery in there too. I mean, yeah, there had to have been something. That's how the last chapter ended. And, well, yeah, and every part of the every attempt they do is like laced with treachery yeah. on some place. So I, I I think we shouldn't leave that out. Um, but Paul cuts right to her. Because again, Jessica, she's not going to be talking right now. Like, Paul is the emperor. At least, that's mm. how what he needs everyone to look at him as. as. And uh, he cuts in. So still, uh, he's still the cold, piercing anger. Said, you've never had the right or cause to forgive my mother anything. 
The old woman locked eyes with him. Try your tricks on me, old witch. Where's your gum jabbar? And I wish he was holding it. Like, ah, is this what you're looking for? That's what it's into for how it's hand. Yeah, exactly. And he says, uh, try looking into that place where you dare not look. You'll find me there staring out at you. Like, she can only mutter at that point. Like, I welcomed you as human. Don't besmirch that. <laughs> and I feel like that's actually kind of that's a big thing. That's a good point. Uh, that should at least be uh, considered in this uh, right. attack on Gaius Helen. But Paul's not done yet. And uh, he shames her and outs her breeding program in front yeah. of how many factions are here right now? The head of every faction. Pretty <laughs> is much. the most important part. Yeah. Uh, that she waited 99 generations for him. And here he is before her. And she's just like, Jessica, silence him. And this is, oh, Jessica, you get your own for a little bit. Silence him yourself. That's all she's got to say, right? Yeah. I'm just like, that is, uh, that's some cutting some ties. Uh, Paul glared at the old woman. For your part in all this, I could gladly have you strangled. You couldn't prevent it. He snapped at it as she stiffened in rage. But I think it better punishment that you live out your years, never able to touch me or bend me to a single thing your scheming desires. That's a great fate. Yeah. And She's still talking past him, though. <laughs> Jessica, what have you done? I, just, but I, just, I love that too image of, like, he could have her strangled. Yeah. And just, like, she would just have to, like, let it go. It would just happen. That would be so... She would try something. He would ultra-voice her. And, oh, that'd be a dark moment. But, but like, th- I love this, too, when you compare this to the first chapter where Jessica waited outside... Willing to kill anyone or stop anyone that was going to go in there. To let Paul die. To possibly let Paul die. Mm-hmm. And now we have her, like, we knew th- where she stood, I think, when it came to the Benny Gesserit and Paul by this point in the book. Uh, what, like You and I as readers. Okay. Um, this is the first time that it's, like, really vocalized, though, with all the parties. Like, she's drawing the line in the sand. Okay, I th- I think it did change in this chapter, though, kind of when she came in and had that cold expression to him, um, that she was willing to cut the Benny Gesserit off so entirely. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought that was a little new to me. No, when, I think... When was the first impression that you got that she was fully done with the Benny Gesserit? I think it was when Paul woke up from the Water of Life after they had that talk, and Jessica was... I mean, she was completely shaken from everything that mm-hmm. happened, but I think she also realized that... Uh, he's not a tool and like coming to terms with like the Benny Gesserit, whatever they were trying is not worth it. And like, I've done things to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're right. Like she is affected the innocent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No Sorry. matter, no matter what, how you blend that in, I'm like it was her, it could have been her, just her son. But yeah. She used him as an experiment and got, got caught up in it. Oh my gosh. But yeah, but, no, I like that. Like Jessica's allegiances, they get complicated at the end. They're they're very they're waxing and waning a little bit. They're changing. But like, and now they've come fully formed yeah. to something else. And like, then, like I said, I think that's when I that's when I felt like she was sort of like more on the side of Paul and things. Yeah. But this is where I feel like I mean, she's talking to guys Helmahayim. She's talking to the head of the order. Just like no, like go fuck off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She breaks and so I think I don't know if I trace it the same way you kind of did. There's definitely something when Paul wakes up, mm-hmm. and I I think it's more like she broke from Paul and the Benny Gesserit in that moment, and she's just been trying to figure out who she is, and that we haven't gotten to see her find if any kind of footing. I mean, like yet. I totally believe that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that she like. Uh... 
Oh, dude, you're not bound to anything. Yeah, we'll, no. we'll see where she goes ultimately, right? <laughs> like that's what the second book's kind of for. You're you're laying down some guesses for it. Uh, I, I mean, love it. Honestly, I think she's going to try and get as far away from sand as possible. <laughs> if I know for, Jessica, that we're in room, just like please, just leave me here. Especially dust sand in the dust chasm. <laughs> uh, but so Paul continues on of telling. Uh, outing basically guys Helen's greatest secrets of this breeding program and her master plan ahem, ahem. he's like oh. yell, yelling this in the room and she tries to stop but you don't speak of this uh, not, no, literally, literally for 90 generations you don't speak, speak about of this. this this is the one rule man this is fight club and then we see some real voice Paul or uh, Mike oh sorry oh, 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 oh. Him. and he goes silence Paul roared the words seemed to take substance as it twisted through the air between them under Paul's I control. I love that. The old woman reeled back into the arms of those behind her, face blank with shock at the power of which had seized her psyche. Jessica, she whispered. Jessica. <gasps> yeah. So, so that's the great control that we were told about before that Jessica's like he has. Yeah. Yeah. He can voice anything, and it takes a, a physical manifestation. <laughs> I mean, you can kind of make it to whatever you want. Yeah, there's like, it's rolling in the room. Like, yeah, everyone you, feels it. It yeah. literally punches her. He can just do things with words. He can literally cast spells. It's I mean, like, like what if you told her do. to die, she would die. Yeah, that's pretty like much Like, her body, I think, to. would just physically shut down, and she couldn't stop it. Uh, Paul says, I remember your gom jabbar. You remember mine. I can kill you with a oh, word. Oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see this in David Lynch takes that too. Oh. Moadib is a killing word. We're going to hear Wait, a what? Moadib is a killing his word. His name? Yeah. 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 You kill with his name, which is oh. the same reason the Fedaikin like yell his name. Oh. Right? Like all these kind of things. Um, but yeah, so this is Paul telling her, and like the Fremen around, they start glancing at each other. The legend, doesn't the legend say, and his word shall carry death eternal to those who stand against righteousness. I knew he would get there. Like witches. <laughs> yeah, but I love it. And I, I do. All the Fremen glancing knowingly at one another, eh? Hey? Yeah. <laughs> Body? Uh, I, I do love like what you're saying though. Like I think one word could just stop her heart or yeah. like some like basic function within her. And this is just a a proof of the power too. This is against a reverend mother, reverend mother superior, reverend mother superior. He could do this to anyone though. Yep, the whole order. Yeah, all, all together in a room at once. Like it's pretty devastating. But I uh, I think it's silly too because like no one really understands. What that means, except for guys, Helen Mahayim. I bet there's like an armada of Bene Gesserits arming up right now. I don't think it would matter. I don't think they could do anything. I think you got to spend the whole order, Mike. Uh, We got to clean up our mistake. Farouk, aisle two. We got some mess to clean up. (laughs) Uh, But. Uh, kind of what you just touched on here with all those Fremen glancing. Paul, again, he can't escape the myth-making. Yeah. This is going to grow and become something so much bigger. This threat he made is going to turn into like, no, he disabled the Reverend Mother with a word. You know, like he crushed her spirit. Um, but Paul now, he eyes Irulan as he tells the Emperor, we both know how to end this. Ooh. Just looking at your daughter right in front of you. And the Emperor protests, uh... But Paul points out that, look, you've already called me kinsman. 
Come on, you already slipped and said it. <laughs> yeah. You can't say I'm, a, I'm an off-world adventurer, mm-hmm. like yada yada. You already messed up. And so and this is again like the emperor, I think, taking every swing he can. Be like, you're not even from this world. Like, you already said I'm your brother. Uh, come on, <laughs> kinsmen. I'm your ruler. And Paul just looks at the guildsmen who nod back at him, and he's like, I could force <laughs> There's it. There's just like a big thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> just like we good. <laughs> really? <laughs> but in Paul's response, four words. I could force it. You will not dare. Mm. Paul merely stared at him and is like, come on. Come on. <laughs> now, Irulan moves up. She puts a hand to his shoulder. And uh, I well, love that. Now that Benny Jezzard are trying to save this. Exactly. And I love that Shadam kind of implies that maybe she's voiced him. If not using, like, just rhetoric. Yeah. I don't think she would be above using voice on her father if necessary. You think not, she's done it before? That's, yeah, because he's like, don't use your tricks on me. And, like, it could be rhetoric. It could just be logic. I think she's used the voice on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Papa, give me that cookie from the ex- top exa- shelf. No, exactly. <laughs> if it didn't start that simple, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, like, uh, she is? That's daddy's girl. Uh, as we're going to kind of come fun. And you think that's why he really resents living in a palace full of nothing but Benny Chesarin daughters? I mean, that's got to be that's bearing what... on any man after a while. <laughs> Benny Chesarin, especially Mike, it's just like, it's a form of sisterhood you'll never understand. It's true. <laughs> let alone. Uh, but I like, though, that I think she does use rhetoric to trick him a little bit. Ah. Because she tells him Paul is fit to be your son. And do you know what th- that reminds me of something? Plato. Yeah, uh, I even I pulled the line from a little epitaph, oh, right? Oh, do it. I was going to say, I remember the epigraph. And I, I just pulled the little end here. It goes, uh, yet I remember deducing in that instant that my father secretly wished the Duke had been his son and disliked the political necessities that made them enemies in my father's house for the Princess mm. Irulan. Uh Yeah, I think she's playing on that memory yeah. and that notion that he's invested in her. Um and it kind of works. And with this two guys, Helen, uh, she gets her stuff together. Uh, she was just knocked back on her ass yeah. a second ago. <laughs> and she leans into Whisper, and they all kind of start conf- conferring. Mm-hmm. Jessica is able to lean towards Paul. She's like, she's making your case for you. Mm-hmm. She's like, all right. I mean, somebody had to tell the yeah. readers that, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, like, Paul doesn't need to know. He knows. I, I don't really care which one of you does it. Paul already finished this chapter. It's just funny. Yeah, that's clearly for us. <laughs> uh, and Paul just kind of confirms who Irulan is with Jessica, which I don't know why that needed to be done. Yeah, I thought we already got that. Mm-hmm. And maybe, though, it was just to bring this up, because Cheney hears, that's the only time he says Irulan, mm-hmm. and Cheney responds to that. So maybe that's kind of why we do get that one. Do you think he talked to her about this before? I don't. I think this is sort of, uh, if, I don't, I don't know. Because, like, Cheney's definitely reading the room. It's like, would you like me to leave? Oh, yeah. Well, again, because uh, right now he just says Irulan. He's already said my wife is among them. Cheney was there for all that. And now he's saying Irulan. And we get her um, cutting in here, uh, asking, should I leave? There's no bond between us anymore. Cutting right to the point, like you're saying, of just being like, I know what you're talking about. Uh, you don't need me, I guess. I just had that one kid who's dead. And uh, Paul, like, reassures her. And I'd like to that he gives her purpose to stay here. I'm alluding mm-hmm. to, like, there's, a, there's something more I need from you. But he looked down at her for a silent moment. Then, speak only truth to me, my, my Sihaya. As she started to reply, he silenced her with a finger to her lips. That which binds us cannot be loosened. Now, watch these matters closely, for I wish to see this room later through your wisdom. And there's going to be extensive uh, de- 
debating and uh, what do we want to say? Like negotiations that are going to happen after like oh yeah the duels and like that's what she's going to be there for. That's yeah. what Jessica's going to be around for. Uh, just that she is going to have a lot of weight in defining the Imperium going forward. And he wants a Fremen at that table. He wants Fremen eyes on it. Also, uh, just putting it out there. I've been uh, keeping an eye out for wisdom, especially in the last couple chapters. Oh, yeah? I mean, another, I think... Another drop of it. Well, yeah, the yeah. kindness and cruelty. Through your wisdom. Yeah. That she would understand the duality. I love that. And that and she'd gone through the same thing he had. I, I do think that uh, Cheney knows Paul very well in a way that very few other people would. Definitely. Um, I think she's always sort of like on that perimeter of his psyche that's like somewhat emanating, especially whenever they have the... Uh, uh, the Tao with one another. I think yeah. Paul keeps his distance, but I bet you Cheney is always there going to Paul. I mean, that is, that's his only confidant and yeah. the only person that didn't change as the myth grew. Yeah. Like there isn't, there isn't been a gulf growing between them. Like there is between everyone else. I think she is enraptured in the myth, but I think she's right there as his lover. Yeah. And that there's never going to be something pushing her back. Like there has been with Stilgar, right. with Gurney, with Jessica. I agree. I think uh, when we started, uh, I think I already mentioned this before. I think uh, I followed too closely to you saying that she was like, it was all about the myth with her. I really don't think that was the case. I do think it is a factor as with all Fremen. Yeah. But ultimately it's Paul before. You think that's the Mahdi. Su- that supersedes it. Yeah. Love it. All right. Let's continue on because Mike. At this point, uh, we get an update on the other group across the room. I love that they're just two groups conferring. And, like, we're just getting involved in ours, and we, we look over, and what are they doing? It's like, and, this is a debate team. Yeah, and now they're having, like, a heated argument in low voices. Like, there's an exchange happening. Mm. Paul tells Jessica that, uh, uh the Bene Gesserit have an agreement for a Bene Gesserit on the throne, and Irulan was their best bet, uh, or was their bet anyway. And Jessica's like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm just like, uh, and uh, I get a real sitcom feel out of this next part, especially when Gurney leans in between the two of them. Because it's hey, like, what, we got? what are we talking about? Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, hey, uh, I'm here. Um, but it's just like Jessica going, I see the signs, she snapped. My question was meant to remind you that you should not try to teach me those matters to, in which I instructed you. Paul glanced at her and caught a cold smile on her lips. I love it. This that, is like, it's yeah. My, yeah, one of my, it's sort of like. Line in the sand and now you're standing on the side you chose. Exactly. And like, right with them. So they're looking, they're having this mom, dad, or mom, son moment. Mm-hmm. Gurney comes in the middle. I'm thinking arm on each of them. And he just leaned between. He's like, I'll remind you, my lord. There's a Harkonnen in that bunch. <laughs> oh, he's, he's right between two Harkonnens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> As he nestles in between two Harkonnens. I think I found a Harkonnen bar. I can, I, I can smell them a mile yeah, away. He's like, he's like, I, I'm just like, I know a Harkonnen when I see a Harkonnen. I'll kill any Harkonnen. Love it. That's great. Not to overshadow this, though. It's great that we finally have Lady Jessica and Paul. I didn't think they were going to reconcile, and they really have. This is not just uh, we're on the same side. This is I understand you're the Queen Sachadarok, but don't you fucking forget you're also my son. Okay, there is 
I would temper that with that still that thought of I can have no emotion towards my child. I'm just like that really deflates anything you want to give yeah. me of like, hey, they got back together. I'm like, Mike, there's some fucking ice that is not gonna thaw here. <laughs> True, but like But the cold smile, it does it goes miles of just mm. like patching something over. I like something's better than there, it was. You're right. I do I just I love that moment. <laughs> that the exchange between all three of them of like it's sort of just like I forgot about the tension in the room. I'm just like until Gurney was like, by the way, I want to kill somebody. But he, he's so excited. He points out fate again, just in case Paul forgot who he was, and he reminds Paul that he was promised Harkin and blood. And uh, this I don't really get for Paul. And this is where he really starts fucking with Gurney. But he's like, can you take him, Gurney? And he's like, my lord, yes. And it's like, don't get that dog excited. You're telling him treat, and he's just like hopping right now. And uh, he turns, leans back, and Paul says. That argument between the emperor and his witch has gone on long enough, don't you think, mother? She nodded. Indeed. And with that, Mike, why don't we pause on our progress through the chapter? Oh, we'll put a little clothes, we'll pay some chone bills, and we'll leave the rest for part two. We resolve the duel between Fade and Paul and the resolution to this whole book. Oh, my God. Negotiate this final deal with the Emperor. Let's do it. But let's head off to some bill playing. All right. All right, Derek, things are uh, things are getting heavy. Yeah, it's a little tense. It's a little bit. <laughs> At least nobody's got a knife this time. Yeah. We made sure. Well, Gurney's not only between Paul and Jessica to let them know that there's a Harkonnen, but also to let them know that right now we have partnered with Audible. And right now they're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial when they visit audibletrial.com slash SpiceWorldPod. I love that where he's just like, hey, there's a Harkonnen. Do you guys need a book? <laughs> <laughs> So, exactly. So, when you sign up, you get one credit that you can use to pick from one of thousands of titles, like Dune, Ooh. my first audiobook. Yeah, or anything in the really infinite anything. catalog. Exactly. And, hey, if you sign up with your Amazon Prime account, you get two credits instead. That's awesome. It's pretty awesome. From then on, you receive an additional credit each month to help you create an amazing audiobook library. Ooh, and, dude, mine is getting pretty well-rounded at this point. Yeah, what have you been listening to of late? Okay, so, well, this week, Mike, I'm taking a little week off, so I'm not going through my normal audiobook schedule, but I did go browse through my library, and I just happened to see something I'm, like, the recommended to, and it's like, no way, it's included in? They are books by Frank Herbert. Like, the other ones outside of the Dune series, there were four on there, and uh, of them, one of one had been recommended to us by a listener, and uh, that was Destination Void by Frank Herbert. Ooh. So I've added all four to my library. This is what I'm going to be getting into this weekend. We uh, record on Thursday, so I got Friday, Saturday, Sunday ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let me know if this description uh, reminds you of anything, Mike. All right. Destination Void. The starship Earthling, filled with thousands of hibernating colonists en route to New World at Tau Ceti, is stranded beyond the solar system, where the starship's three organic mental cores, disembodied human brains that control the vessel's functions, go insane. The emergency skeleton crew sees only one chance for survival. Build an artificial consciousness in the Earthling's primary computer that can guide them to their destination and hope it doesn't destroy the human race. 
What? So this was someone, uh, they were responding to like our Holtzman episode. Of, right. Like, whenever when Holtzman is like the brain in the ship yeah, going yeah. up. And he kind of goes a little crazy on his trip out there. Oh. So I'm super stoked. And all these, they're like, um, I think the longest one was nine hours. Okay, so, yeah, those are very short. That's, yeah, for me, that's kind of perfect. We're all going like two hour spurts. I'll have this done like a little week. Yeah. Kind of just enjoy myself. Uh, I do it while I do things around the house. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to getting to that. And I've never uh, dived into Frank Herbert's other works. So this is going to be like a really accessible way for me to like expand a little bit. I and love see, that. See what else he was good at. Uh, so there were four of them. The one I'm picking with Destination Void by Frank Herbert. That's fantastic. But hey, Derek. Yeah. You got Audible. Get 30 days up. What if it's not for you? What if you don't like it? Oh, oh. Well, that's that's going to get kind of testy, Mike. <gasps> what I would do is I would invite them over. You know, just say, what's up? You know, they're going to send a little messenger and then call out Camly right away. It's really <laughs> important. You want to get you and Audible one-on-one, mono-a-mono. And if you win that duel, Mike, you get to cancel your membership uh, without getting charged for the last 30 days. In other words, they'll send you a courtesy email right before. Conley courtesy email? Like, what are you yeah. splitting hairs here, Mike? It's all semantics. They'll send you a courtesy email right beforehand and remind you, like, hey, 30 days, do you want to keep going? Which is really nice because not a lot of companies do that. Exactly. But, hey, regardless, if you do quit, mm-hmm. you still get to keep your entire audiobook library. Everything you've added in, even that Frank Herbert that Frank included Herbert original. One. It's yours for life. You can listen to it whenever you want an Audible still. And, hey, why would you want to do that? We know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com spiceworldpod. So go out there, guys. Take our recommendation. Send a recommendation back our way. Whatever book you pick up with that code that you used from Audible Trial. Dot com slash Spice World Pod. Perfect. Yay. All right. I can't wait to get into this. Oh, I dude, you really Let's you're gonna it. love it. Let's do it. All right, Mike. So the deep dive today mm. is a little different, a little something. Uh I realize dope, stupid me. There's a pretty big character we never did a background on. Okay. Paul. Holy shit. I feel like we got most of it, though. Well, we really lived through a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> the boring shit would be on Caladan beforehand, and even the epigraph was like, eh, he started on Arrakis. Uh, don't worry about those. <laughs> don't yet. worry. 15 years, we don't care about those. Yeah. So, but, well, what's up? I mean, we still have the orphan room. Mm-hmm. We've sort of built up our own mythos of Paul, haven't we? We have a fake history. <laughs> and what you're going to come to learn, Mike, is honestly, maybe all history is fake. <gasps> So I have an article here that's from the Rackus Horde from so far in the future, Mike. What if I told you they even questioned if Paul ever existed? existed? Yeah. Whoa. Mike, I got some Paul conspiracy theories for you that we're going to dig into over this episode and the next one because I had to break them up because it went on for too long. I love this. this yes. Is, this is so fun. I think you are going to enjoy this because <laughs> we're going to get to run with some wild thoughts. Um and like this guy just questions everything. He's pretty pretty great. But the way this was structured, I'm skipping about half of it. Okay. First portion, uh, and it gives us a little editor's note to be like, the section compiled on Paul Atreides Moadib is not a straightforward biographical uh, summation of his life. It is instead three articles they chose to represent here that you can glean parts of his life from, but they just represent uh, varying views. The first one is like 
basically the closest thing to a biography uh, with some funny little tidbits. Uh, like they call Duke, uh, Duke Leto the first is blessed Duke Leto the first who gave, oh. who gave us Paul Moadib. Oh, um, I forgot we have to call him Leto the first now. Jessica is referred to as Jessica Atreides Harkonnen. Uh, oh that, my god that's a known a known factor oh my god so everyone knows yeah yeah uh and so there were a few broad things like that but since it touches also on what happens in dune messiah i'm not going to tell you about that mike yeah. i'm not going to tell you how paul's life ends but then i got to the second part which was like ooh, this is really great it starts going into like questions after the article and so this is called it's part three the questions to be addressed Okay. The first question is, was Paul Atreides a historical personage? And we're going to basically go into, like, it's a second historian reflecting back on that first article and now being like, we have questions now that we're a little further in history and we've looked into the Rackus Horde. Like, mm-hmm. I don't believe you. Uh, and then there was also something we're going to save for Between Two Dunes, which was the oral history of how Paul got his name. Moadib. Oh. And that is like a Fremen folklore history. Oh, that's cool. It's really neat. So it has nothing to do with factualness. Right, right. It is it's literally just the legend. It is Moadib. He's fighting some Dijins. He's saving some kangaroo mice. Like you do. You like you do. Uh it's really it's a sweet story. A really good take on like classic hero myths. But for now, like I said, let's go into questioning this essay on uh, Paul Atreides. So oh, imagine yeah. you've you've read the histories. You've just gone through this great biographical work of uh, Paul Atreides. Uh-huh. Now you're reading this extra, kind of like what the academics pass around. All right. So was Paul Atreides a historical personage? This obviously is the most important question. The answer is that almost certainly he was, and the answer is based on a number of considerations. In the first place, Paul is the pivotal character both in noble and in Fremen folklore. This is particularly significant. These two pools of folklore material, though possibly springing from a singular pre-First Jihad source, were absolutely independent of each other at the beginning of the Second Jihad. Now, we've already known the cat's going to get out of the bag. This yeah. Jihad's happening. Yeah. That's the Second Jihad. The First Jihad is... Want to take a guess? Wait, wait, wait. The, we're experiencing the second Jihad? We will be. But what was the first one then? What's the only one you know? The Butlerian Jihad. Oh, God. why? Wow. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, sorry, Mike. Uh, the Machine Crusade. <laughs> uh, <laughs> depending on yeah. how you look at it, remember? <laughs> Whatever Warner says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no, you're right. That went, wow, that went right yeah, by yeah, me. You were not grabbing for that <laughs> at all. But so those are like our anchor points we're going to yeah. go to, right? And we're saying, and I love this, that like before the Jihad, they could have had a similar source of myths, but like after that, they were definitely separate and the Fremen were isolated. They would not share these kind mm. of things. But Paul Moadib is in both myth sources. Both have legends of him. How mm-hmm. could that possibly? Because again, we're historians looking back right. on this, being like, like how, how could it be fake? It's got to be real. It, yeah, yeah. There's got to be something here. It goes on. Different motifs, different qualities praised in their gods and heroes. Different moral orientations. Different modes of existence, both before and after the Second Jihad. Yet Paul Atreides is at the center of both. 
Yeah, I love that. It seems much more likely that an actual, immensely popular, and culture-catalyzing hero was adopted by the storytellers and balladeers of both groups than that two unrelated bodies of folk material happened to posit the same uh, fictional mythological hero at the same time. So again, just being like, had to be someone. What are the odds that both these people would agree on so much? Which is sort of like that one bit I landed on where like Brian Herbert and the encyclopedia acknowledge guys telling Mahayam. Right. She must be real, Mike. Both <laughs> these folklore acknowledge her. Like it couldn't be otherwise. Well, what about Senvasevna? That one's lost. <gasps> or oh, are you saying oh would that oh. make one of them more accurate than the other? Maybe. Mm, I like it. I like no no, because he changes it. That oh, is I mean, the like, one. Yeah, yeah, you say that. But, like, the idea that if you would approach him from different aspects of history. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, who was this person? Was it Sevna? Oh, Sevna? Oh, I guess, Does but it, it not fucking matter? Right, right. But I'm saying, but the guys don't think they agree on Yeah. So that we can narrow down. Yeah, uh, yeah. The yeah. other things would be lost to ambiguity. And I can't do anything about it. This continues. Second, his legend is persistent. And many parts of it are consistent with known history. The second jihad, for example, would have required a single, immensely powerful focusing element, probably the lens of one man's visionary eye. A jihad will always acquire its own momentum soon after its launching, becoming, as it grows, an ungovernable whirlwind, which must spend its fury before it will dissipate. That's a great coloration of what's to come. I love it. And does really um, spell out how the first jihad went. I'm just like, yeah. really got out of hand fast. Um, but like, like, it reminds me of that Rick and Morty episode where we're just like, I had no control. When they get back in the car. Yeah, that was complete luck. It's the cold open yeah. to the episode. Yeah. Oh, we almost died. <laughs> they just start crying. That's, that's a great one. We need a vacation. <laughs> um, it continues. But a jihad always, too, requires an impetus from the spiritual force of one man's charisma. The second jihad developed almost immediately after the Battle of Arakeen and very likely had as its center the same genius who had crushed House Harkonnen and the Imperium together with a ragtag band of desert nomads. Wow. Do you see what we're getting up up to? It might not have been a lobel at all. We have a footnote here, though, Mike, that needs to be addressed. Okay. Footnote. House Atreides had, for all practical purposes, ceased to exist with the assassination of its leader on Arrakis in 101-91. None of its scattered retainers seemed to have joined the Fremen in the revolt until the final triumphant stage of it in 101-93. In fact, it seems that Atreides' retainers fought against the Fremen in initial stages of the revolt. It is certainly reasonable to assume that leaderless nobles of that time would have attached themselves to others of the noble class and so gain imperial pleasure rather than fight alongside insurgent Fremen. The way they're coloring it is so interesting. Isn't it great? Hey, we don't know for sure, so this is just what we do know. But they're being like, it makes no sense that Gurney Halleck, who fought against these Fremen, is now fighting with them all of a sudden. Exactly, right? Like, why did he switch? If, if Paul was really out there the whole time, Gurney Halleck should have gone running to Paul. Mm-hmm. And we're just ignoring like, so that. The, like, it just makes sense. Paul couldn't have been the one then. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. But um, even more so. So who would be it? Who fills that shoes, Mike? Because this guy's going to tell us. 
the you great got, Duncan Idaho. <laughs> well, no, no, basically, but like it's a, it's a Fremen pretender. A Fremen, pret- yeah, it's like, be a biter. Oh, I wish. I wish. <laughs> no. no, 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 never like that. But literally, just playing with yeah. the parts on the ground. Now, this genius. Uh, so we're carrying we're carrying on from that footnote. That footnote's resolved. Okay. Uh, back to the main body here. This genius would have been of heroic proportion. Indeed, it is easy to visualize a superstitious people naming him Messiah. The name of Paul Atreides would have suited him as well as any. Ooh. So it's sort of like um, a They're very... that someone took on the name guys of yeah. Paul Atreides. Uh, what's the Russian Anastasia? I'm thinking of like that, Oh, man. yeah, that's a really good comparison, so actually. So many people, after that family was massacred, would be- take up that name right, or right, take right. up the myth of like wanting to pretend to be her and like... No, you guys, they're all dead. Now, finally, so we get to our third point in this article. The House Carino quickly and deliberately attached itself to the man it called Paul Atreides, i.e. Princess Irulan. Uh-huh. Virtually every surviving document whose author purports to have seen Paul in the flesh was written by a direct line member of the House Carino. Who could that have been? <laughs> it is not uncommon, of course, for a ruling or aspiring family to claim mythological descent. But none of the plethora of documents and fragments of documents still existing that are supposed to have been written by the Princess Irulan Carino Atreides. Oh! I've been omitting that so many times, oh! Mike. Yeah, Irulan Carino Atreides. Oh my God, that's her name. Claims that her family. Oh, I should. I wonder. We've that. Oh, really? Basically, like they've never claimed to be genetically tied to Paul. They're just like by marriage, we're tied. To right, Paul. right, right. Rather, they seem to indicate somewhat haughtily that she was his virgin wife. Similarly, the writings of her nephew Harkalada. Harkalada, the famous writer who will be a historian, who you were sure was her son. Wait, what? That's her nephew. Keep trying, Mike. Ah! Four, four other daughters. Wait, so, oh, I was really happy that was going to be in <laughs> Is here. Is it Wencia's? Uh, I'm not going to fucking tell you, Mike. Are you kidding me? Or <laughs> Wencia's? I forgot. All right, can you name? Can you name one other sister? Uh, <laughs> okay, that's what I thought. Hey, I remember when Sissia, Rugi, and Joseph, and then Chalice. It wasn't Joseph, it was Joseph. <laughs> no, no, we never looked it up, but you wanted there to be an A at the end. No, I did look it up. Uh, oh, actually, you know what? I have it uh, right in here. It's like Josepha or something like that. I might very well be wrong, and I'll just close the book if that's the case. Closing the book. Oh, what is it? It is, it is Joseph. Ah! Yeah, 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 thank you, thank you. I'm so sorry, bud. Thank you for standing your ground. Yeah. Line in the sand, Derek. <laughs> Following it's her it's pretty squiggly at this point. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, I love that. So, Harkalada, we'll figure that out eventually. But... Within his writings and uh, Irulan's writings, mm-hmm. none of them indicate blood kinship, just that they were attached to Paul Atreides. And so that's making a point, because I have a footnote here. Ooh. If Irulan and Harkalada were really the authors, <gasps> basically he doesn't even believe they existed. <laughs> Questioning, I'm like, if they're even real, if they're man. they're real. <laughs> Some of them I did just kind of... Uh, I should tell you, I omitted a few of them. So... 
one of the authors has left footnotes is just leaving little quibs at whoever wrote the original article, which is kind of funny, but like it detracts from like telling you the story. So I did okay. leave him out entirely. That was essentially me paraphrasing him. Okay. <laughs> Be like, I don't even think they're real, man. <laughs> you don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. This is all bullshit. Um, the main article continues. Uh, This is a very interesting revelation. In combination with the reasonable assumption that the Carinos, like anyone, would have been able to to claim lineal descent from a purely fictional god hero, and for political purposes, would have claimed it, leads to the conclusion, first, that Polytrades existed, and second, that he was powerful enough for the Carinos to have wished kinship ties with him. Okay, yeah. So, like, again, just highlighting proof to be like, well, yeah. these people were emperor up to this point. Why were they so eager to be like all of them? Irulan, Harkalada. Right. We, we know this man. We're here. He likes us. <clears throat> we're part of his family. I mean, they're desperate to be involved with it, though, but they wouldn't know that. Yeah. So, footnote. It also suggests that Paul was baseborn, for the Carinos apparently did not wish to have their line connected to his by blood but only by official marriage. (laughs) Nor did they claim a common ancestor with them. No. What do you mean? I love that. I'm just like, that's part of the, like the blood thing. I know. They have it so reversed though. Of what it is. I'm like, he's part of their family. If you go anywhere about it. Yeah. And the fact that it's like, they want to be a part of his bloodline. They're desperately trying to. In fact, that's the entire point of doing this. Well, no, they, they aren't, part of his bloodline no but they want to be they want to be associated with him you don't think that they want to have uh muadi babies in hopes that it'll like spawn something else through the breeding line they uh oh wait wait benny just for breeding line yeah um yes and no Irulan's gonna speak lengthily on this matter Irulan does want babies mm-hmm. she does want a muadi baby she's not gonna get them but like i uh, we're gonna, you're gonna have to actually decide for yourself if you think it's more for the Bene Gesserit or more for like her imperial heritage. Uh, she oh. she becomes a person. Uh, she hasn't been this. Is this her trying to like? Uh, she knows how it's gonna go down. She's like, I'd like to be safe, please. Yeah, 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 I mean, I can't tell you too much for it, but it, it's going to be, it is a central point in the Messiah Interesting. that we're, we're going to be talking about uh, okay. as we go there. Uh, it's, it, I didn't expect you to like uh, hammer, <laughs> hammer onto that line. I'm just like, ooh, ooh, we touched something. It's the third rail that I got, I got to leave for now. <laughs> all Mike. right, all right. We got to walk away from this one. Um, so that is the end of the, my first question of just personage of Paul Atreides. Oh, you want to get to question two, Mike? Yeah, let's do it. All right, question two. Okay. Granting, then, that Paul Atreides lived, what was his lineage? <gasps> I'm just like, I love it. It's already been like, okay, okay, okay. Assuming this was a, a man, <laughs> quote unquote, <laughs> define this person because, Mike, this is fucking great. To start with this, Mike, I'm going to show you a genealogy chart. Is it's there a family tree? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Ah. Oh! With the redactions because oh. uh, there's certain things I blocked out, which I love. But, there's uh, so- <laughs> You're gonna see that Aaliyah gets married. <gasps> That's which, adorable. There's you, little. There's you can't tell. fucking everywhere on this paper. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, you can just Post take Carino. a. I mean, it's very, it's very obvious. Basically, it's connecting the Baron Josepha. to Jessica. Yeah, interesting. It's showing us that Irulan's gonna be married to Paul. Chalice is the one I forgot. Chal. Yeah, yeah. 
Chalice as you should. She gets the least window. I think she has the shortest life. It gives her a full life. Oh. She didn't live very long. Um, but I just need you to see that chart. It's pretty simple. It's everything you already know, right? Any surprises mm. you see in there? Uh, Harkonnen, Jessica, Jessica Harkonnen. I don't like that. I love the Jessica Harkonnen. You got to include Lado it. Trades, the first, the Red Duke. Yep, we already know that. Yeah, I love uh, he gets a little Red Duke on that bit. Aaliyah, Paul Atreides. Oh, it's a uh, Irlan is tied. So Paul's tied to Irlan and Cheney. Of well, as you know, yeah, uh-huh. that's how that's so gonna be. Cheney comes from the Fremen line. Oh, but it doesn't say that. Wait, Cheney Liet Kynes is her name. I guess so. So that we don't. Oh, so Liet Kynes isn't even a person in this history book. Well, her name is just Cheney Liet. Kynes. I think of that. Oh, you know what? They might not. They yeah, would probably know that it's her, but... Uh, I don't even know. I think at that point, too, it also the chart gets a little disorganized. We don't know when Paul dies. Of course not. Hand that back now. Oh. You've looked too far. <laughs> There's some numbers I want to look into more. But what's on this? Uh, let's do this real quick. <laughs> what did you give me? You gave me a loaded gun. Woo. You didn't even know Woo. it. Oh, I guess that is a loaded gun. I'm sorry. <laughs> did you see that death date? Uh, no, I didn't. I, uh, I looked at Paul's first because there were so many question marks. I'm like, what is that? I didn't consider that there were death dates for a lot of people. <laughs> God damn it, Derek. Hey, hey. You know what I could have done with that? Mike, I'll tell you the Barons. 10193. You son of a oh, bitch. Woo. Woo. Oh, man. We were walking <laughs> nice was, edge there. Wow. I don't know. Why would you do that? Sometimes I just need to feel something to live, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I do it at a pure and new eye. <laughs> I do it out of spite. Yeah. Love it. Love it. That was really funny. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, the legendary lineage claimed for him, see, genealogy chart, a.k.a. Mike's previous reaction, <laughs> is clearly fantastic. It absolutely cannot be accurate. It should be dismissed out of hand. Oh, okay. <laughs> Even Harkonnen influenced histories leave no doubt that his purported grandsire, the Sir... <laughs> Even the Harkonnen influenced histories leave no doubt that his purported grandsire, the Siradar Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, was impotent, could not have conceivably have fathered the woman known to us as Lady Jessica Harkonnen, Paul's mother. So, one, that's not her name. Definitely is, in a way. No, she, she was never named that. Tell me, tell me she was married, Mike. Tell me she got her name changed. Son of a bitch. <laughs> she was part of House Atreides, and you know it. That doesn't give you the name. <laughs> yeah. Mike, if you get hired to work for a family, do you get that family's name? <laughs> no. She used her business degree, and that was it. She can't give up. <laughs> her business degree. <laughs> I think they're literally uh, just going off. Like, I think, there's no paperwork. Like. I was honestly more upset by the fact that we didn't get Leah Kynes in that. At all. Yeah. yeah. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Uh, for touching on the Fremen board. We'll get to the Fremen okay. stuff. Hold on. Uh, we got to just tear through this genealogy starting at the top. Uh-huh. It's ridiculous, Mike. Fremen, Harkonnen? Like, no. No, no. Or Harkonnen, Atreides? Now, in fact, the Baron, having no direct heirs of either sex, was in the process of dividing the Arrakis government's responsibilities between his nephews. He was already... so. Clearly, this man couldn't have children. Mike, why would he be taking this action? Oh, this my God. Even more evidence that we shouldn't be indulging in like this fantasy. Future generations and historians are more sane than the people of this time. Definitely. Well, it's because <laughs> it's not Frank. This is someone sitting down and be like, Frank, I read your book. This is what it looks like to me. <laughs> this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I don't even do it. Imagine how weird this is. <laughs> yeah. Point A. Point B. <laughs> Done. 
Gertie Halleck. Um, oh, where was I, Mike? Okay. Um, he was dividing us up when the Fremen forces attacked in 101-93. Nor is there much more likelihood that Paul was in truth connected to the Atreides family by blood. As the Red Duke was, together with all members of its immediately family, then on Arrakis, assassinated in the 101-91 coup. Because again, Anastasia, they're all killed. There is no Paul. Come on. Footnote. Ooh. Do you want to go before the footnote? Yeah. Did you say that he was assassinated? I wouldn't say he was assassinated. What would you call that? I mean, you don't think Yui assassinated Leto? No, I mean, I think he gave him a gun. Oh, oh, because he put the oh, okay. No, hold up, I see what you're saying. Yeah, they color it as an assassination, but in actuality, that's not what happened. Okay, okay, no, no, no. I do want to kind of push back on this. Of like, one assassination is just like a colorful word for one kind of like murder, right? According to Merriam-Webster, assassination is to murder a usually prominent person by a sudden or secret attack, often for political reasons, such as like a plot to assassinate a governor. Right. And so that's all I mean. It's but like, it's not just, it's not just shoehorned into like, it's just murder. There is a, it's got a specific noun attached to it. It's a type of murder. It is a type of murder. That's all the point of, but like, yeah, but it's all, it has to be like that prominent person, but that's where you get into like, what is a prominent person then? And I just think that you can constantly like cut that down to where that isn't like a precise thing. It would mean different things to different people. Maybe is what I want to say. I mean, this isn't worth uh, what we're actually arguing over because I think the point you make is even better off. Like you or that, I think you can you can totally make the case that uh, he wasn't assassinated. Just with his particulars. Right. Because that tooth does like fucking throw a wrench in the matter. And like ultimately, it is. Like the Duke, I mean, the Duke doesn't have many options at that point, but it is his choice to do with that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's it's just right. really weird. No, 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 I I think it's great. Uh, I'm interested to see how you edit this all together, but oh, I will give God. you the con- the concise conclusion, Mike, of that <laughs> you are totally right to uh, weigh in that like Leto wasn't really assassinated, was he? Like, there, no. it's almost it was, suicide. He I mean, chose it was to more do- of a coup and invasion. Well, but I was gonna say, but the one point we can agree, there definitely was a coup d'état, right? Yeah. All right, let's get rolling. All then. right, because I'm gonna dive into this footnote. It has been suggested that Leto the First kept a Fremen concubine, and that Paul was his natural son by this woman. This is an intriguing suggestion, and one which, if true, would justify Paul's claim of Atreides' kinship. Unfortunately, no evidence exists to suggest that Leto Atreides was on Arrakis before 10190 when Paul was already a young man. God, they're looking in all the wrong places. But interesting that even that little footnote was able to recognize that, hey, I made a plot hole here, but I'm going to patch it up because I thought about this one before I wrote it down. <laughs> Frank. It's not possible. Yeah. <laughs> you think that's what it was about? I don't know. Shade on Frank. But I, I just love that that was a cool little, like, you entertained the idea, and then we're like, but we're going to include this bit. Timelines don't match up, so... Do what you got to do with yeah, that information. No, I like it. I love that bit, though, of like Leto having a Fremen concubine. You oh. already know he had a concubine. It's not outside of his character. It's true. I love it. The Atreides retainers who escaped that coup were swallowed up into the general population and, in fact, fought against Paul's Fremen in the ensuing general revolt. Not true. 
Uh, what do you mean? The smugglers a little bit. I think that's all you're really they referring part to. Of, uh, they weren't Leto's retainers at that point. What do you, they were before. Oh, no, I was thinking of, like, the rest of, like, House Atreides. No, I when they say retainers, we're talking Thufir, Gurney, and Idaho. Oh, okay, never mind. All right. That's why I tried to refer to them today you, as, like, the retainers. You. Yeah. Okay. Those guys are our, our lieutenants. You already thought about this. I got it. I know where we're going, Mike. I'm leading you on a paved road. <laughs> uh, but it's saying those who escaped out were swallowed up into the general population, and they fought against the Fremen. And, again, it, it's, like... Uh, Thufir was organizing the Harkonnens against the Fremen. Right. Uh, Idaho, not so much, because he died right in the attack. Right, they don't uh, know that, But though. then Gurney and the smugglers. Mm-hmm. Um, this continues on. Significantly, not until the revolt had gained some measure of success and some hope of ultimate victory did the scattered Atreides join in. Such a waiting is completely uncharacteristic of retainers whose blood lord is engaged in guerrilla fighting and in obvious need of assistance. Again, you're just hearing Gurney's words in your head like, that's why I didn't come. They were watching me. (laughs) They would know. (laughs) Or I guess it's like Paul holding out on telling him. Um, Finally, the idea that a 15-year-old off-worlder who is the scion of a privileged class could galvanize Fremen will, direct Fremen resistance, and especially lead Fremen forces in battle is considerably beyond the capacity of reasonable men to believe. <laughs> oh, no. Damn, that, that is a build-up. Well, here's the thing. That's because it doesn't seem like they have any mention of the Benny Gesserit. They don't know the deeper story. Exactly. The fact that there's other puppet masters involved. No, you hit it right. Exactly. And one of the things they're going to touch on uh, as we'll get into part two is like, he didn't have enough time to learn the skills he would need to. Yeah. Like just mathematically. So how could this be? And it's like, he lived multiple lives at once. <laughs> he really skipped the line on some things. Now, to believe that such a thing were possible, and this is i.e. that the retainers would hold out until the very end before they returned him, uh, is to betray the ignorance of Fremen customs, of Fremen law, of Fremen mythology, and of Fremen reason. This 15-year-old upstart. <laughs> Paul is in all likelihood Fremen-born, probably native to Siech Tabar. He may have been the son of Stilgar, then Siech Naive, but there is no firm evidence to support this contention. Wow, they got Stilgar right, though. Old Stilgar, yeah. Footnote. Much has been made of his noble features. If his actual facial features were in any way remarkable, it must be attributed to genetic chance. No child of half-off-world parentage would have been allowed to live. It is just possible that his mother was herself an off-worlder, formerly adopted into the Sietz sometime during her own childhood. Such a situation is rare, but not unheard of. Okay. That is an interesting little bit to be dropped in where Mm -hmm. I was wondering if that was also like, if the Fremen would look at woman of just having like childbearing abilities of having more to offer a tribe than like a man, Hmm. especially in the untrained capacity. Just to be like, why would they take a... They're willing to take a hot, a young off-world girl. Occasionally is like, welcome. Not the off-world man. Like, they would be killed outright. Hmm. Does it, that's the only possibility that I could think of. Of like, that what they could contribute. Life is pretty fucking big. Huh. Yeah. Any Anything from you? I don't know. Maybe, uh... How much do they know about the Fremen as a culture? 
Like that might have something uh, the, to color it with. They would be pretty ingrained. Uh, right. This would be a um, a church to what they call the Church of the Divided God. It's going to be. What? Yeah. Wait, the divided God? We're books away, Mike. Don't even try that. <laughs> uh, but they will be the religious force on Rackus. Okay. Like native planet Rackus. side. On Rackus. Yeah. So that's like God Emperor time yeah, yeah. frame. So they, they get to claim connection to Fremen, but they are not Fremen as we know them. Definitely. Okay. Lot, okay. Yeah, a lot, a lot of too much has changed for me to even like allude to you vaguely. Oh, but they're there. Yeah. Um, now, I guess I would say in response to that, then maybe it's because they, uh, they know what from culture is like, mm-hmm. and you and I, have to, we've gone very in depth within the Fremen culture, especially yeah. through the encyclopedia. I feel, uh, there's definitely gender roles associated with things. Yeah. So seems inevitable. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, like this man comes down, he's a threat, kill him. This uh, hot woman comes down, just like, well, we'll invite them in. Yeah. See how they do. Yeah, yeah. It might be that simple. Like, feel feeling like the sexual needs of the tribe. Already we acknowledge, like, they were a rambunctious, horny bunch coming through the desert. Like, (laughs) notice there are the youthful men, like, yeah. The Tao orgy. (laughs) Like, yeah. Which I like to think is as filthy as it sounds. (laughs) I still think uh, it's more of a mental orgy, though. But yeah. it, it could be column A, column B. You know what? There might be two rooms. It could be like <laughs> like any good party, Mike. This is a couple rooms in form. The stoners always go off into their room. Like <laughs> There's a naked room. There's a naked room. Uh, I get to my, my last little paragraph here for you. He must have distinguished himself early in the areas of military planning and tactics, of political theory, and of both on- and off-world history. Under the name of Usal, and still in his teens, he had been by the time of the Harkonnen coup in 10191, amassed a large contingency of Fremen warriors under his immediate command. When, in 10193, the Atreides retainers collected around him and proclaimed him their duke, he immediately saw value in being so proclaimed. For without great house support of some kind, the Fremen revolt must assuredly have been doomed. He consolidated Fremen and Atreides support and attacked, gaining at Arakeen one of history's few truly decisive victories. After the Battle of Arakeen, he was named Moadib by the Fremen, Kwisach Haderach by the Bene Gesserit, and Emperor by the nobility. At this point, a suitable that is to say, fabulous genealogy was constructed for him. Oh my god! But I I love that bit of that's like really good having though. everyone bend the knee. Moadib said the Fremen, Kwisatz Haderach said the Bene Gesserit, Emperor said I mean, that's the nobility. The thing, he does have all those titles, and they yeah. mean different things to different people. Yeah, exactly. And and I like too then and how the historian is conflating them to be equal. Yeah, but they're not. They're, they're not completely different things. Paddy Shaw Emperor. Right. Those are three different crowns that initially were in three different places. We merged into one. Yet again with the him. idea too that like it's great because House of Trades helped them out. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. It really did. Well, even then they're saying that it just legitimized him. It's yeah. kind of what this historian is painting it as, right? But, He's but, really judging the the uh the it's, retainers it's one of those uh, instances where you're not wrong but you're not right either because this guy definitely doesn't believe paul modib existed <laughs> you get that feeling he's definitely he's open to the idea of it being a myth 
Uh, that's where I'm going to cut myself off, Mike. But sure. I did keep the first question for part two. <gasps> okay. If he was Fremen born, why did the Atreides retainers gather around Paul? Ooh. We're going more conspiracy I like on the it. next one. So I can't wait to get there. I like it. Real exciting digging into this. Fake history of Paul Moadine? I think it's really cool. Really cool. You stumbled onto a gold mine there. I, I really do think so. Mike. That's really good. Uh, and with that, uh, maybe it's time we take uh, take off and then head to the stars. Let's, let's go to the stars with Daniel's Doom Gazetteer. Oh, so perfect. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. As you know, every week we've been taking a look at the stars and planets of Frank Herbert's Dune, a Gazetteer by Joseph M. Daniels. Hell yeah. And uh, I got, I mean, like, you knew it was going to come to a head at some point, Derek. Ooh. I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just let the let the recording speak for itself. Yeah, yeah, please. Let me tap on this transmission here. System data. Star designation. Alpha Carini. Star name. Canopus. Distance from old Earth. 312.7 light years. Spectral type. F0LB. White supergiant. Magnitude, minus 0.62. Absolute magnitude, minus 5.53. Known planets. Seven. Veneris. Arrakis. Exteris. Ven. Ravona. All of those names are familiar to me, Mike. Oh, really? We oh. took a little dive through the solar system at one point. We did. We're going to oh. go a little bit more in depth. So we're doing the Canopus system. That's a great place to finish, I think. Now, it's really serendipitous that we are doing a two-part episode because uh, I have equal parts Arrakis and equal parts Canopus. Okay. So we're going to do some Arrakis stuff right now. We'll save Canopus for the final. Okay. I like that. Um, because like everything I saw in Canopus, I'm like, these are questions that I've had that I personally need to know. <laughs> so let's get into it. Vindication in the finale. Uh, so because we're, uh, tackling a planet more so than the rest of the, like the star system itself, mm-hmm. there are going to be some Arrakis specific things that we got to talk about. And a lot of this, Daniels has got some opinions. Okay. Things that he, we've alluded to throughout these gazetteers. Specifically, what came first? The Guild or the Spice? Ooh, do we finally get an answer? We'll see here. There we'll is no here. answer. Okay, okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. All right, so part one, sandworms. Oh, of course. Of course. Normally, Mike, was it not histamine etymology? <laughs> did, did everyone have a sandworm section that you just didn't do? Everyone did. And it just said nothing. <laughs> nothing. Not available. The first one I got to use. Yeah. So sandworms. Arrakis, the planet known as Dune, is the third planet of Canopus Alpha Carini, a desert planet where it never rained at all in the time of Muad'Dib and to undergo many transformations in the times of the Tyrant and the Honored Matres. Mm-hmm. So I assume those are the future books that we're going to get to. You're getting very familiar with the future <laughs> factions. <laughs> Just remember those names. Exactly. In spite of the fact that its history is in the Chronicles, many mysteries remain about it. None more obscure than how the sandworm and its spice came to be there in the first place, and when the navigation-aiding properties of the spice were discovered. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've stumbled over this a few times. Yeah. And it's like, we always feel like we're getting a little closer, but it's vague each time. It is vague, and then we'll be like, oh, I almost got it, and we throw a new date in there that just, like, tips it upside down. Yeah. And nothing makes sense anymore. Yep. But, uh, I guess... What do you think? Are are the worms from Arrakis naturally? Did we, someone put them oh, there? Oh, do you want to go that far back? I think the worms are a terraforming alien. 
Ooh. Like a device? Like a... Yeah. Oh. Like like Bene Tleilaxlu in style. A oh. biological device that's meant to render water from an environment for whatever reason. Very interesting. I don't know why. But, like, it also seems like it is to generate the spice. The spice seems very uh, intelligent in design. Of Like, it's got such a specific purpose to go into this and it's so beneficial. Yeah, I, I do feel like it was constructed possibly like, so the universe, it seems abhorrent to aliens, like just Frank's idea of a universe. He right. like it, it uh, defies us to introduce aliens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They aren't part of it. So I feel like it was just old humanity. Like turn the clock Ooh. back far enough. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I always love sci-fi that gives you like a cyclic view of humanity where like we expand so far, we then collapse back down to and then like, go to making oh, a little yeah. you know, basically reinventing the Eden, like putting a little seed on a planet to grow all life. And that becomes the Eden myth that grows back out. We go back out in the universe, you just find the remnants of old human society. Essentially, essentially. uh the source of the remains of the Crompton ruins. <gasps> dun, dun. Someone will know what that means. Exactly. On anyway. the edge of all space. <laughs> but anywho, let's, uh, let's take a look from the encyclopedist viewpoint. All right. The encyclopedists are used that the sandworm, Geonemotodium arachnis, evolved naturally on arrakis from a burrowing worm, Shyhaludida, which survived a catastrophic atmosphere loss. Oh. I love that that's the name of the like little uh, the little original worm that's based off of. Yeah. Shyhaludida. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, with this atmospheric loss, this loss of oxygen supposedly had already happened more than 49 million years ago. And that's how these worms have evolved over time. That's the encyclopedia's viewpoint. All right. And so they're adapting to a change in their environment. Exactly. That produces what we now know. Very Darwinistic. Sure. The encyclopedist goes on to say, For many centuries, it was believed that Shai Halud was responsible for the desertification of Arrakis. Sort of like you're saying. However, many scientists now believe that sandworms... Well, before, I would like to pause it. I believe oh, it's oh. the sand trout that uh, causes the desertification of Arrakis. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. <laughs> okay. What was I even fucking saying? I don't know. They were talking about worms. <laughs> yeah. I just want to cover my ass in case they're going <laughs> to okay, get there. just in case. Yeah. Uh, go on. For many centuries, it was believed that Shai was responsible for the desertification of Arrakis. However, many scientists now believe that sandworms are the product... Not the cause. Hogwash. Hogwash. Carry on and no uh-huh. counter. All right. Well, you know what? It's okay, because someone agrees with you, Derek. Oh, thank the Lord. Unfortunately for this thesis, the God Emperor tells a different story. Hell, to get, get my bag. Go get him. <laughs> get him. Get him. The sand trout, and this is in quotes, so I think yeah. this is a direct quote here. The sand trout was introduced here from some other place. This was a wet planet then. They proliferated beyond the capability of existing ecosystems to deal with them. Sand trout insisted the available free water made this a desert planet, and they did it to survive. In a planet sufficiently dry, they could move to their sandworm phase. So yeah, I guess his uh, his take on things is that they definitely came from somewhere else. Yeah, so actually in God Emperor, there are a few lines where like, I always got the feeling that Frank was like, maybe I'm going to do aliens. And he never does. He never does. So they're, me- they're supposed to be like terraforming, I think is the thing. 
Well, yeah, I mean, they came from another system. They need a dry planet to survive. The sand trout phase, it's a you, uh, terraform. Think of where he was. So that book would have been written, like, um, in the mid-'80s. So yeah. this is just, we're talking invasive species at that point. Oh. I don't think that would have been, that probably could have been in the zeitgeist of just, like, him making an example of that. Entirely possible. And that is, like, outside, that is sort of like an evolution of the already using oil as the motif here. Before, it was just spice as a single resource. Right. And then it really builds up to, like, something else and grows in, like, mm. many aspects. And the environmental aspect, part of it is, like, endangered species, right? Right, right, as right. As, like, uh, we're already talking about the desertification, like, has the, uh, I, what's the past endangered, I want to say? Uh, uh, critically? No, no, when they're gone. Extinction. Oh, extinct. uh, but like, <laughs> no, like, when they're gone. <laughs> yeah, like, no, my brother, brother. I'm just like trying to say like all the plants that are like extinct on Arrakis mm-hmm. now because right. of the desertification, right? Right, right, like, right. That's all a process and all of them to consider. This is like very much an apocalyptic invasive species then. Because it terraforms. But in the same way that Paul was a dick to Gurney, but he was looking at the greater thing for the jihad, it gives everyone extended life. Billions and billions of people live longer, fuller lives because yeah. you sacrificed this one world. Yeah. I don't know if that's like specific to the genetic makeup. That probably isn't an intended thing. Unless that maybe moral, someone designed that. That moral highbrow. <laughs> the idea, though, that is interesting, yes. their larval state terraforms the world yes. so that their adult state can survive and thrive there, mm-hmm. which I think is very cool. Yeah, well, and uh, their states, you haven't seen this fully yet, but they have two vectors that they go on. So right, like, right, right. the sand trout vector exists until the environment is in the Suitable. situation to allow exactly. them to ascend. Exactly. It's, yeah. just, it's very cool. It's very interdependent. I yeah. love that. Um, now, Daniels is going to go on here. I have no trouble taking the God of Emperor's version as canonical, but this testimony begs the question... Who introduced the sand trout to Arrakis? Hell yeah. Which is a big question. Some, yep. Like, they didn't just show up there on a whim. Someone must have brought them somehow. And clearly it's someone from a water world. <laughs> Who knows what a trout is? Etymologically speaking, like, language-wise, it, it, I mean, that could have happened anytime, anytime after post. they were there. Sure, it, sure. I don't think that the person who brought them there would have been like, this that, is a trout. Yeah, that's the, na- the natives uh, interacting with the species. Exactly. But it is an interesting thing, and if you look at it from that perspective, how can there not be alien life out there that's intelligent, that had some form of travel? Because I think it can still just be human. It could still be human, and you're right. Maybe it is one of those things where, like, humanity existed before our Terra that we are in right now. Oh, no, no. I uh, Just that whole period of faster-than-like travel, but before the guild. Okay, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. colony ships could have left at any point. I mean, even guild. prior yeah. to that, I think it's entirely possible you want to yeah entertain that terra wasn't the home world of right humans? and i guess at that point like how long do you think it would even take to like terraform a planet like that i mean i guess according to kinds it would really only take a couple lifetimes yeah we're, we're, we're sort of all over it choose your time window yeah uh, so <laughs> kinds is one thing paul can do it a little bit faster the yeah, worms yeah. do it a little bit slower. i think uh i think your idea that maybe it was uh humanity itself has some uh some merit to it has some merit yeah yeah, yeah for sure um especially if we look at with that extinct uh, halud species or whatever it was on that uh, planet. Uh, was it Portrin or... I was going to say, does that not kind of contradict with them naming this? Or they're naming the species after, after us taking the... the name from the sea serpent from this other yeah. world. Yeah. yeah. That was just worm-like. Yeah, everything's just crazy, though. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just kind of weird. It's almost like a bunch of different authors are trying to pin down the source of well, shit. Danis is going to continue for you, Derek. Yep. 
for this question, there is no answer. Of course. Yeah. None of the forces known to us in the Dune Chronicles will be able to successfully transport the worm to a different planet, try as they might, at least. Uh, so, wait, what? Did he redact it himself? Yeah. Oh, good for him. Beautiful man. Motherfucker. All right. So, so either was. Now I want to know what this is, though. <laughs> I feel like this is a myth. I mean, Mike, I got all the books here. We can just stay there. For, it'll take us a couple of days, but no. you'll, you'll get to the answer eventually. <laughs> okay. Not, it will not be good for the longevity of this podcast, just though. don't stop until you meet Shiana. Uh, who? Shiana. Shiana. She's got all the answers you're looking for. Okay, that's who I need to talk to then. Shiana. Is that the last book? Oh, most definitely. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Second to last if you want to be generous. All but. right. Continuing on. So it was either an unknown human agency or an alien one that puts the worm on Dune in the first place. So you were right. He does consider the idea that maybe it was humans. We just don't know or remember. I love it. Love it. At what point do we ask, like, where did the worms even come from? Where do we find them? Did we make them? I mean, are you? do you think, like, when does Frank ask that question? No, I mean, like, I'm asking the question. Oh, if you're well. looking at the idea of this, like, maybe it was humans that brought the sand trout to Arrakis, but where did we get them? Yeah. Yeah, no, Mike. I mean, I think that if you're asking when will you start asking that question, it should be like, no, no. If it was just you reading independently, you didn't have all this uh-huh. extra information, the end of Children of Dune. You'd be like, where did these fucking things come from? <laughs> <laughs> and tearing at your hair. Uh, just, it, it does not go into it. They're just so weird. They make, like, for them to be a natural occurrence the oddest thing is one in a fucking billion like i don't is the it's so long shot for how compatible the spice is with everything right it's so long shot to me but i love it uh i i feel like there has to be so i got no answer for you i don't want an answer this is one of those few times where i'm like no frank don't let me believe what i want to believe or i no, i I just don't want to know i have nothing in me for like what it could be and Mm -hmm. i think i just appreciate that void there a very undead. It's sort of like just at least having God present. I deliberately like, did this. And thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Somebody had to. That's really how I feel about it. That, though. It's, that means it's, it's something where like, I, I don't want an answer. That's it, great. You could only give me a bad answer. That's, I guess that's true. You'd just be disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. You'd just be Brian. I, I would nitpick it in some, yeah. You know, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah. you wouldn't be able to enjoy it. Like you, for some reason, can not knowing. It's very, very weird, but like that, that is totally where I land on that. Well, this is great. It's going to lead us into our next segment here. Ooh, what is that? Spice. Oh, okay. All right. This is where we get into the chicken and the egg here. Yes. The, with timing, the, the timing of the discovery of the spice melange is just as vexing. On the one hand, the encyclopedist, as noted under Tupile, equated the invention of the first guild ship by Vinport and Sevna with the discovery of the navigational uses of the spice. Mm-hmm. We sort of went into this with your uh, your deep dive when it came to... Well, we had two concurrent ones. We did the Chome one, and we did that one. Yeah. The Chome one dealt with like introducing it to the Emperor, and this dealt... We pulled the clock back just a little bit to mm-hmm. be like they were toying with it. So somewhere in between there is the establishment of, like, this is what we're going to do with spice. Right. Right? So then that means that this consequentially puts this discovery and uh, necessarily that of Arrakis in the pre-Imperium era. Definitely. Yeah, that's what I would assume as well. But he's going to go ahead and play devil's advocate here. On the other hand, we find the following facts. How many facts do you think that Daniels has compiled? Seven. 
One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, six. Oh, oh Dan- Daniel, I think you could have done better. Oh, no. That's all I'm saying. So, I'm fact number one. <laughs> the Harkonnen quasi-fiefdom on Dune to mine the spice under a chum contract was only 80 years old at the start of the Chronicles. There is no further information about the previous history of the contract, if indeed there was any previous contract at all. Which clearly I struggled with that when you first asked that in the yeah, beginning of the show. Because like, like that was a question. It's like who who's been doing this for all this time? Got nothing. It's like why would it be a new thing? It's just the weirdest thing. But I don't take that as evidence per se. That's just missing information. Clearly that implies there was a contract before the Baron. Or maybe there me. wasn't though. But then who's mining all the spice? Is then it just smugglers? I, no. Because no, we no, know it's not no, the... no, no, hold up, hold up. But then it but you have evidence that the emperor was there at one point. The imperial testing okay, station. Okay, you're right. You're totally I, right. I would use those as my foot jump to be like, clearly at one point it was the emperor. Do you think he was there like, hey, no one go here? I'm going to try and figure this out. Uh, or at least like, I'm going to be in charge of like this coinage for a second. Okay. Of like, because imagine, let me spin the little uh, hypothetical for a second. Sure. We just discovered spice. It's the hot thing in the emperor. Yeah. Or the empire. Maybe the empire this is, is like, new TikTok. Well, Lanzrat, you guys are just going to fight yourselves to death over it. I'll take control of this until we can decide a better way. Okay. okay. I take a, you know, a hundred year contract on this or maybe 80 years. And that becomes a standard. Fuck it, let's do a nice, even 800, 800. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not? But you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. just for the sake of making it easy. And we resolve this. And in the meantime, certainly I try to figure out what the fuck spice is. Uh, yeah. I try to make a universal supply of spice. Cause that's in the benefit of everyone. Right. And I'll probably patent it and license it. Yada, yada. Uh, so that, that I can see. So I'm going to disregard one and I'm going to give Daniel five other facts to try to woo me over. All right, let's do it. Let's continue on. Uh, Dr. Yui. I love this. This is one of my favorites. You already lost me, but okay. Oh, no, I brought All this right. up way back when, and you're just like, fuck it, Mike, I don't know. All right. Dr. Yui showed Paul a film book called Arrakis, His Imperial Majesty's Desert Botanical Testing Station. It was an old film book from before the discovery of Spice, which is what he says. Oh. Is this a 10,000-year-old book? Oh, Nice. Good one. It's like that's that's kind of a big deal, and he just gives it to Paul very nonchalantly. Granted, like we knew that there were other things on his mind, but it's kind of odd, right? Yeah. Um. So my previous thing completely deflated, thrown out the window, mm-hmm. uh, executed in the streets. Oh no! Well, because now he's been there, and there was yeah. no spice. Yeah, so yeah. What were the mechanical testing stations for? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't get it. All right. Thank you, Daniel. You may have back your first fact. <laughs> you should reorganize those, by the way. <laughs> Just so you're not a dick. Moving on. Fact number three. We know... Ooh. I guess we... I don't know, but I guess uh, everyone collectively who's read the Dune Chronicles knows. Do you recognize his name? Yan Shup Ashkoko. No. No. We know that we, <laughs> we know, but Derek and I don't know that Yanship Ashkoko, royal chemist in the reign of Shikad the Wise, discovered the geriatric properties of spice. Unfortunately, Shikad is not found in the imperial list offered by the Dune Encyclopedia, but one assumes that this places the event in the Carino Imperium. Wait, so, where is he getting us? I have must uh, be Brian. Uh, nope, it's not. I can give you the reference. Yeah, sure. Uh, the source is CD, which I assume is uh, Chapter, Chapter House, House Dune. What did you say it was again? Uh, the name was Yanship Ashkoko. 
a royal chemist in the reign of Shakad the Wise. And Shakad Shaddam sound very similar, so it might be during the Karina reign. I, I, I don't think so, but and then keep going. All right, so next fact. Product Kynes was the first planetologist on Arrakis. Wait, hold on. Wait, what was the previous fact with that person? With uh, Shakad? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Let's go. Uh, we'll go back here. We know that Yanship Ashkoko, royal chemist in the reign of Shakad the Wise, discovered the geriatric properties of spice. Unfortunately, Shakad is not found in the imperial list offered by the Dune Encyclopedia, but one assumes that this places the event in the Carino Imperium. Oh, okay. So, Thank. I'm sorry. I I just missed that connected point. Of like, so he just discovered the geriatric property of the right. spice. He didn't like discover the spice or yada yada. Yeah, because we know that the guild must have discovered it, brought it to the emperor. like, hey, look at this uh, thing. Because isn't that how you framed it to me? Originally? Well, no, no, no. So with how we framed it, when they brought it to the Chome meeting, they pitched it as this has geriatric properties. Don't look into the prescient stuff. <laughs> it's like it was a distraction to be right. like, you're not going to ask questions because I already told you it's a cure-all. You won't, ca- you, you know, you're not going to look into what else it does. It cures cancer. Mm-hmm. Just cure cancer with so it. So maybe this uh, Ashkoko was a royal chemist under that emperor and went ahead and like checked that out. It's like, oh, sure. oh um, maybe but, it does work. So that should be noted that then if this is Chapter House Dune, as you kind of alluded with that reference, that comes out after the encyclopedia. Oh. Heretics in Chapter House where Frank wanted to reserve the right to be like, I might so change some you're shit. You're right. Maybe some things would change there. Maybe, maybe he started to have an idea. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> maybe he started to have an idea after the last book. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he didn't give a shit where Spice like came it. no, from. No, it's fine. Yeah. No, because it, that's what it's not about that. Lo- I, I don't know what it's about, really, but yeah, <laughs> it's definitely not about that. Yeah. <laughs> Next fact Pardot Kynes was the first plantologist of Arrakis. Surely, if the discovery of spice had been so ancient as the encyclopedia suggests, then a planet of such surpassing importance would have had a planetologist before then. Agreed all around. Agreed. I think we both are just like, yeah. yeah, There's no opposition there. (laughs) Someone else should have been there. Yep. (laughs) Next fact. In the Princess Irulan's introduction to the movie Dune. Oh. Oh. We're going to David Lynch here. Yeah, we're really stretching our uh, references here. I know. She refers to the Spacing Guild Navigator's spice-induced mutation in quotes over 4,000 years. End quotes. Okay, I I want to actually disregard, disregard that one. If we're only going by the movie, I'm like, that's a stretch, but I, I think so too. I will take it under consideration. I mean, I think he changed so much that I don't agree with that, like, fuck it, I don't care. Not yeah. not canonical to me whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. It does yeah. not matter. Yeah, you can't use that in the same debate here. Exactly. So I would ignore that as well. But I, I appreciate his thoroughness. Uh Oh, the Rossic Fremen... Arrived on Dune by the encyclopedist's own calculation in 7,193 AG, being preceded by the Ischian Fremen, but surely not by much. Can I be a douchebag? Yeah. They were Ischians and Sunni Wanderers, and they were others than Sunni Wanderers. They were Fremen when they got to Arrakis. Fair point. They weren't free until they landed. That is a great point. I love that it. A, that was a cultural heritage <laughs> milestone, but dead on. So yeah, but the fact that like they arrived there at seven thousand, so we would have had to have the spice by then for sure. But that lines up, yeah, with and being it's after okay. Guild, obviously. That I think we've already acknowledged of like it's so far beyond that it really has nothing to do with Fremen. Yeah, yeah. Of like before, I would have attributed it like it seems so a Fremen thing, but mm-hmm. it's like no, it is lucky. 
Yeah. I'm just like, good for them. Uh, but they come on the scene way after Spice is a thing everywhere. Yeah, so, like, some of these points don't match up with one another. They just, like, some of them are all across the field. Yeah. They're just things he pulled out. Uh, I'll continue with Daniel's uh, notes here. Okay. Although a few of these points flatly contradict the encyclopedia's thesis. Hell yeah. The general tenor is that the discovery of Spice is less ancient than suggested. However, it does not seem plausible that the mining of the spice on Arrakis had preceded the coming of the Premen by this many millennia, nor does the general ignorance about the physical origin and the full effects of the spice fit well with such a long usage. I think the mining does line up because the Imperium was just so bad at it. I would I, I would agree with that. Would you be willing, yeah. like they were never willing to learn to live with the planet? Right, and the guild, that was the one thing. It's just like, we're not going to help you with that because if we do too much of that, then we lose our little in. Can't, we can't build a dam because then they'll see what we pull from the exactly. water. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I kind of feel, I'll, I'll be willing to give Frank that stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Daniel's not missing anything that's not already there. Exactly, exactly. So continuing on. On the other hand, the consequence of not accepting the early date is that during a considerable stretch of the Imperium, 6,000 years more or less, the Spacing Guild must have used, as did the Bene Gesserit, some other poison for their tricks. And those are poison and tricks are in quotes. So we know that's true for the Bene Gesserit. We don't know that to be true for the Guild. We don't know and that to be true. And maybe that's though. all we're missing. Yeah. What if maybe the guild... they do have their own little like trick that they used to do before. Right, right. What if they had a Rossic poison that was okay and the mm-hmm. spice was just better? That's the idea. Um, once they, in, uh, he continues on, and that maybe once they had tried the spice, it may have been difficult, if not impossible, to go back. Certainly, this was the case for the Bene Gesserit. Yeah, I think that's the logical way to, like, it sucks that you're duplicating a motif that you've already used. Exactly, but, like, but nothing like, else really well, fits. Well, in the same, in, well, I was going to say, in a way, they're doing the same process, though. Mm-hmm. Like, they're both going through a spice agony to get somewhere. They're just... Different powers, different extents, let's say. Right. Uh, these guys only want to look at the future. These girls don't want to see a future. Uh, ah, right. They only want to look at the past. Kind of. Like, yeah. Well, they just don't want to forget the past. They don't want to get, they also don't want to look in the past. Not too far. Exactly. Not too often. You don't yeah, want to get yeah, stuck yeah. in just it. Just the one side. Just one side. You want to reference it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's something there. I think there's something there as well. That, like, like, Frank would have been well to heed that suggestion. Now, I think this one uh, might appeal to you specifically in the first sentence. The real problem may be the excessive, almost Trantorian length of the timeline for the Imperium. Yes. Is that an Asimov reference? What, Trantorian? Yeah. I I don't think so. How would you get out of it? Uh, Trantor, I think, is something from the... Oh! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah! That's a planet, right? It's something, like a city or a planet. Yeah, I believe it's a planet, actually, and uh, you're making me stretch. I I only read those two as one. Sorry, I got it. I caught you off guard. Yeah, that was like 10 years ago. Uh, I just Um, got a copy of uh, one of Asimov's first books. Have you started it? Not yet. I was thinking about diving into it here soon. Or maybe we'll save it for like a little bonus thing. Who knows? It's short stories, dude, so just just read the first one. Oh, just dive in. I like it. Yeah, you can pick your way through that. It's really fun that way. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so the real problem is the timeline, like the length of the Imperium. Herbert, of course, was making a point about the stagnation of mankind under the long rule of the Krenos, a point to be hammered home again and again and again by the God Emperor. But perhaps he overdid it. Certainly, if the discovery of Arrakis and Spice occurred within a few centuries of the change of eras, 
like from BG to AG, along with Butlerian Jihad, the CET, the founding of the Bene Gesserit, Chome, the Landsrad, House Carino, and obviously the Spacing Guild, precious little significant history seems to have happened during the next 10,000 years onward. <laughs> Which we made a point of is just like, all this shit happens at once, and then like nothing happens after that. And I think that's kind of Frank's point. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah. And he's agreeing with him. It's just like that yeah, stagnation. Yeah. Yeah. There was one catalytic event. We undid it. And then we just stopped. And we just stayed in this. Though the schools advanced. The school. There is like a perfection of the human body that occurs in that time. That mm-hmm. isn't appreciated by the progress of governments at all. Okay. Government is static while the Mentats develop, the Bene Gesserit develop. Um, what's the like the Bene Talaxu develop, uh, the Ixians develop. Right. Like, let's look at these sub factions that have nothing to do with government. They are exceeding leaps and bounds in that 10,000 year period while feudalism is the only stagnant force. Okay. I think I can make that case. I know. I like that. Yeah. With, with Choma, it just has to do with like, Profit. It just has to do with like quantity over time. Yeah. Benny Gesserit, their ultimate goal, literally the only restriction is time. Yeah. So like I can see like why that takes a certain amount of time to wait and do. Ooh, well, or if anything, maybe you kind of paint of like, is this been because of the Bene Gesserit? I mean, I honestly think Slow they've and got, steady they, wins the race would be like a mantra of theirs. I really think they've had so much to do with a lot of this stuff here. I, I like this idea of them slowing down human advancement for the sake of controlling it to get to a better end result. I hate them. <laughs> I hate them. I love them. They're the, they're the best. Uh, Audrey Dawi, Mike. Uh, wait, who? You'll meet her. She's great. Okay. I thought that was a mantra for a moment. I'm just like, what does that even mean? Could be. It's that's how good it is. <laughs> there are these two Reverend Mothers, Mike. They grew up together. Taraza and Dar uh Darwido Dred, and they called okay. Tarandar. Tarandar. <laughs> <laughs> Best friend. Tarandar. I love it. But that's what I have on the spice. That is fantastic it's pretty good i think i gave us some new insights i think we were able to sort of piece together a little bit maybe yeah a little give we a little give and take we're doing guess the which doesn't happen often yeah uh but i feel like we forged a new middle ground i like it yeah so last is etymology now this is specific to arrakis itself not canopus okay we'll do that separately next week good cut yeah like it so with the etymology of arrakis uh we've already talked about some of this before as well so it may uh it may sound a little familiar it is obvious why the inhabitants called their planet Dune. One may recall, of course, that Herbert's original publication in Astounding Science Fiction was called Dune World. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Why exactly it was called Arrakis in the Imperial Galactic Register is unknown, as Gaty Prime and Arrakis was clearly named for a star as previously explained in other articles within the Gazetteer. Uh, the assumption is that something important might have happened here to warrant, like, oh, we're going to call it this now. For sure. Okay. To give it like a planet name. Exactly. So we're going to talk about the real star Arrakis just for a moment. The real star Arrakis is Mu Draconis in our uh, astronomy here on Old Terra. Mm-hmm. Um, we already talked about it a little bit. The name Al Arrakis is Arabic for the dancer. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, or we also talked about it. Could it also mean the camel? I but, think you also talked about whirling dancing masses. <laughs> oh, I love it. But uh, yeah, for the dancer. And uh, I will bring up the camel here in a second as well. Awesome. 
Since in early Arabic astronomy, it was part of an asterism called the five camels, along with Beta, Gamma, Nu, and Xi, one may interpret the name as the dancing or trotting camel. Obviously, there's nothing particularly satisfying in this, though. <gasps> I, 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 I Of course, I would have put it. the trotting camel is an <laughs> immensely satisfying to a man of Western heritage. <laughs> Which I love. And of yeah, course, yeah, uh, that, that is really great. Yeah. I like the the, the uh, interplay of dancing and trotting, too. Are just like, right. those don't mean the same thing to me, but I kind of see what you mean. Mm-hmm. Really great. We learned that time as well that asterism, it's basically just a constellation that's a little bit smaller than like the big ones we see in the sky. Just mm-hmm. a small grouping, like uh, the Southern Cross. Awesome. Or uh, I think the Little Dipper is even considered an asterism, technically. Oh, really? Yeah, because it's an asterism of the constellation Ursa Minor. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So, uh, just uh, our last thing on Arrakis here is that it's a binary or perhaps triple star about 71 light years distance from Earth. How do they throw triple into the mix? They're just not quite sure. Uh, Okay, yeah, that would do it. I mean, mean, it's so far away. No, no, I know. So, the encyclopedia just gave us that, like, first-hand account of, like, they got got close enough that they visually basically identified it as two, so I didn't know if you had something else. But for our star, Arrakis. Oh, the actual interconium. Actual star, Arrakis. uh, They're not sure if it's binary or triple. Ooh, okay. Very cool. And it lies in the constellation Draco, which is... Do you recall we talked about? That's a constellation with a lot of famous planets that we've been able to place, including Corin, uh, Grumman, and Gamont. Excellent. Very cool. Hey, it was a good solar system. It was, hey, great constellation. Love Draco. Now, as noted in the article Caladan, eh? mm-hmm. there is an apparent connection with Arakan in Burma. Its significance is hard to evaluate and may explain more about the choice of Caladan more this than it is, does uh, so. Is this dipping back into that river in Burma? Exactly. Yeah, that like all parts of Caladan were named after. Exactly. It's just like, wow. Like the, it's just like so uncanny. It's, yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, Daniels goes on to say that this is probably more uh, evaluation that explains the choice of Caladan more so than Arrakis. Okay, how so? Probably that uh, because he was looking at the word Arrakis and like saw that 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 was there, that's where he got like, oh, Caladan River will make this planet named Caladan, rather than the other way around, like Caladan River. Hey, it's next to this planet. We'll take, we'll call this one Arrakis. Sure, sure. And like, I like how they did to draws Paul to Arrakis Mm -hmm. because that was kind of all that point of uh, Irulan's first quote. Mm -hmm. Remember here, but it's over here, and like for. For Frank, it's sort of like, and that's how I learned about these. Like oh, that maybe. was that was the order maybe. I came across this <laughs> shit of like. Well, he's saying specifically that yeah, the order was Arrakis then Caladan. Right, right, yeah. So going on here, I don't have too too much more. We're getting to the end of this. Okay, uh, yeah, at least for part one. Uh, yeah, so those are his like first two ideas of like why we call this you know planet Arrakis. Could be Cal- the Caladan connection. It could be the fact that it's just desert. <laughs> the, Caladan connection. <laughs> the Caladan connection. The Caladan connection. Wow, I yeah, love that. It's a good movie. It's yeah. a good one. <laughs> there is, however, yet a third and perhaps more likely motivation for choosing the name. It seems that in the Far East, the name Arak was applied to a variety of native spiritist liquors. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know this. Yeah, that's new to me. And uh, someone can definitely... Uh, Correct me on this if I get anything wrong, especially with the pronunciations, which I apologize for right now. Variations in the name are Araka, Eriki, Rak, and Rock. It is used for liquor made from 
kumis, which I think is camel's milk. Oh, Mare or camel's milk, yeah. Okay. The arecanut, palm toddy, mahua tree flowers, and etc. All of these uh, sort of being a big popular thing in the beginning of the 19th century, where uh, whole forests in Ceylon were devoted to its production and the distillation of it took place in almost every village along the coast. Ah, welcome to a cause. <laughs> we yeah. grow this one thing and that's what we do. But it's interesting that uh, how close the name is to that and the fact that we always call things like spice liquor. Yeah. Especially the guild calls it that, especially in this last chapter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why that sort of like... I'm sorry, I was thinking of like the drunken Idaho, but like more like (laughs) for the Bene Gesserit and their guild like power. Yeah, the spice liquor. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And that's what I got for this week on Arrakis. Dude, that was a fantastic little deep dive into Daniel's June Gazetteer. Always something exciting to learn, or at least to spark conversation, which I think is important. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, that touched on several bits. And I'm especially like in this uh, conspiracies. Yeah. We each got our little conspiracies today with the day, but the origin of Spice. Awesome. Man. I always need a little bit more for that to try to get yeah, the answer. Yeah, and I'm sure everyone out there has got an opinion on it. Yeah. So I'd be so curious to find out, like, what do you guys really, un- like, think? What is your ultimate, like, this is where it came from? Ooh, and worms, too. And worms. Even, like, if you guys have read Heretics and Chapter House, like, I still want to know, like, what do you think these worms are capable of? <laughs> where did they come from? How did they get here? Because, yeah, I like I can't help but think terraforming is some bit. Because, yeah. I mean, they're so fundamental in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Like, that is just inherent to them. And, obviously, it's very effective. Oh, yeah. Because even with this entire human population trying to fight against it, worms win every time. Yeah. It's what they do. They're really good at it. Paul's con- I think Paul's convinced in this chapter, though, he can... Uh, it's like, oh, we're, we're going to turn Again, to fairyland, though. Humanity can't do much. An emperor can do quite a bit. <laughs> Fair. You can okay. sway some okay. shit. Okay. When you can make Chome, or I'm sorry, the guild bow down. Oh, Mike, all of a sudden, weather satellites can get around <laughs> Dune. That's fair, actually, yeah. It's really weird how we can do that now. That's the that's biggest. Really that, good, yeah. the, it's the only holdup. That is the big holdup. You're right. Yeah. Absolutely right. We now have gotten that out of the way. Like, it's totally That's possible. fantastic. So, as you mentioned earlier, we've got a little Giovanni over there, just chilling, emptying his bag out. Uh, I'll even pick you, Giovanni. You're not going to fly today, buddy. I'm just going to come pick you up and bring you right over. Yeah. Please come to the mic. Yeah. You, keep, keep, you already got a wine. All right. Jesus. Is that a lounge chair? All right. Let me put the ED tube here. He knows it's the end of the season coming up. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's ready like, to relax. My job's done. I, I get to retire, right? I'm like, oh, Ooh, Giovanni. No. We'll tell him about the other books later. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't yeah. know. All right. Oh, Mike. We got a full little uh, newsreel here. All right. Let's try and uh, bang through these. All right. I, I got a. Uh, do you remember Paul from Montreal? How could I forget Paul from Montreal? <laughs> with, a, with a title such as that and a name like Lisan Al Gaib. Uh, <laughs> he sent us Paul. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. I was like, wait, where are you getting with this? <laughs> I don't know, no, no, Lisan Al Gaib from Montreal. Uh, a multi parter. I think we'll just address this in both episodes. That'll be easier to go yeah, for. We talked about this at the beginning of the episode. A fucking awesome email that we just need to split up. Yeah. Let, let me hit out a few and I'll let you hit out a few next time. For sure. Uh, the bits I pulled out here. Uh, there's a little love, Mike, for the Glossary game, the Gurney game, and Daniel's doing Gazetteer. Yeah! 
just that all three parts have really lived up and they preach like the kind of interplay of like, I teach you something, you throw something back at me. Yeah. So you're going to have to keep it going into Messiah. Oh, damn. That's what that means. That's what that means. Uh, Mike, there's some serious love for your Aaliyah crush. Yeah. And he says, Mike, I'm enjoying your Aaliyah crush and boy, are you in for a treat in Messiah and children when something of the old something takes something of Aaliyah something and all hell breaks loose once the somebodies realize that Aaliyah has dared to something something even though it's forbidden to all Bene Gesserit. Oh, for the purposes of something something else, yeah, I've gone, I've said too much. Written? I'm like, that's how it happened. Like, what do you mean? Did you not follow that? I hate you. Basically, fuck you, Mike. Uh, Dune Messiah, Dune Children. We'll Damn. see you there. Damn it. Can't wait. Can't wait. I what love else? that. I like that people enjoy doing that. I'm just I know. Like, I absolutely hate that. Just something, something, something. Um, ooh, so you, want, you want to take a swig at these? Uh, he sent us the pronunciations. Oh. Yeah, I think I'm going to leave that one in your court. You don't feel confident? No, not in the slightest, and I don't want to deal with the recourse if I'm wrong. <laughs> okay, I'll give him my best shot here. Let me see here. Briefly don my etymology pronunciation hat once again to inform you that A and B. A, the planet named Richies, that we call it Richies, uh, he actually refers to it uh, as Richesse, closer to the French word Richesse, which simply means riches, with the connotation of wealth, opulence, and luxury. Oh, okay, you're going to see that meaning for like, the machine right. world that it was before. So, I, mean, I guess before it was like super machine world, it definitely had to have a bunch of people making those machines be like, hey, machines, you take care of the rest. We're just going to chill the fuck out. We're just going to relax, and you abort the babies as you see fit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's how it happened, Mike. You can't deny the history. <laughs> That's a spoiler. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> it didn't happen, and Frank never wrote about it. <laughs> How is that a spoiler? <laughs> I guess you're right. That's a good counter, right? Yeah, no, I can't argue with that. <laughs> but it's uh, it's so on the nose for that planet, can't believe it's a coincidence. Uh, one might presume that Frank uh, deliberately did this. I deliberately did this. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, so he uh, pronounces it as uh, Reaches. Okay. I, I so, can dig that, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to concede, but we'll see next time know. it comes up in the text. It might, I mean, we might be so far gone because we just didn't know. Yeah. But who knows, really, ultimately? So many things but, like uh, that. I really me. like that. That's awesome. Oh, there's a part two to that. B. Ooh. I suspect that the uh, Fadaikin name is inspired by Fadaiin. Oh, Fadaiin? What the hell does that even mean? Derek laughs Fad- as he delegated this email. <laughs> Fadaiin. Arabic. As a term used to refer to various military groups willing to sacrifice themselves for a larger campaign. Oh, hey! Oh, that sounds like our death commandos. That's pretty uh, analogous. Yeah. I would oh, think. I absolutely. That's can agree you with can you, you uh do you, can you spell the word? Um, F E D A Y E E N. Okay. Like so, Fadayin. Yeah, Fadayin. I think is. However, I don't know what where they land on like some of the vowels. Yeah, the stage, but that's really cool. Of like some, so they're willing to sacrifice themselves as like the Fadayin are. Yeah, Death Commando man. So I that is spot on. I love that catch. Right. And there's there's plenty more for Paul in there. I think uh, we'll postpone some of that though. Okay. Do you mind okay. if I go on with this next yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, go for this it. This one was pretty funny. Uh, this is from Joe. This is, came across on Patreon and Mike. Well. Ladies and Atreides both rhyme if you say them like the Beastie Boys do. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a tough one. In the end, 
It's always ladies first. <laughs> Is that I a relation that. Joe's voting for the next V2D? Oh, maybe I was thinking it was in like a duration of like a uh, ladies night that we did uh, for all the ladies that were in the game. Right. Oh, I'm only asking because I know we have ladies of Carino as uh versus famous Atreides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. You think it'd be close yeah, to each yeah. other? Uh, can you give me your best Beastie Boys, ladies and Atreides? I'm I'm putting this. Oh one God, in how do they go? Uh, hey Atreides, <laughs> what? Hey ladies, yeah, what? I like it. I was thinking more of the, hey, ladies, do, do, do. hey, ladies, do, do. a tradies. Do, do. And <laughs> I like goes, it. Uh, that's good. That's good. It, a beautiful contribution, though. Ladies, a tradies. They do go together. <laughs> we really missed that on Ladies Night in the cave. <laughs> My apologies. Uh, and then, uh, oh, oh. Mike, uh, I think the last one's kind of encrypted for me. I got nothing here. Oh, which one is this on? You want to take uh, Giovanni? Okay, sure. All right. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, awesome. So, another Spice World. We're getting so many Spice Worldlers. Uh, I love it when they pitch in. I love it. They so, got that Patreon connection. <laughs> this one was for Chapter 45. And uh, coming in here and was not a... Oh, my God. So, this is actually a fun story, too. Chapter 45, officially... The episode I've spent the most time editing out of all of our episodes so far. I'm glad one of them got to take cake. What was so special about that episode? Well, I finished it up. I did our little plug, uh, outro plug and everything, and then my computer crashed. Uh, oh, and obviously it saved everything obviously, perfectly Obviously it saved everything like I thought it would. Put a little bow on it. control S, but uh, apparently it didn't. Oh, and I, no. uh, I had to restart the entire episode from scratch. I, I feel like I lost an entire week of my life to that episode, and I hate it with a passion now. So, chapter 45. Chapter well, 45. You're going to have this weird tick <laughs> when you get to that if you reread this book ever. <laughs> Why am I so mad right now? <laughs> it was something else. Well, Papa read 45 again. <laughs> <laughs> In so, this scenario, Mike, yeah, your children, it affects yeah. them. Nada Idris is uh, going to chime in, and uh, they actually had a little bit to say about uh, when we did the talk about the Benny Tubilax. Yes. With uh, Benny, Benny is also Arabic for sons or boys, and I was taking that more from, I think, uh, the Hebrew aspect. Yeah, yeah, that uh, one of the interpretations I know exactly. you're running down with for like the well done aspect. Uh, where Nada has seen it in names, it just means son of, like you, like you would have like a fawn of like of or, uh, oh, in Russia, what is it? Uh, Ovich is like uh, son of. Ah, okay, that lines. makes sense. I know uh, within, I believe within Arabic, like they'll within naming naming people, it'll be like Ibn. Is like uh, if you said like Paul Ibn Asul Ibn the blah would be like Paul son of Asul ah. blah blah. Well, and this like Bene within, is well, son no, of. but so that's just within your name kind of idea. Oh, okay, cool. But this is interesting that so like within this group they're giving it that thing and like you and I were watching um, Lawrence of Arabia recently and that yeah. guy that wrought, when they're at the well in the very beginning right. of the movie he says I'm part of the Bene Salim. And it was like, I think he was saying it was like his tribe. Sons of the Salim, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, for yeah. the tribe, Sons of the Salim. That makes total that makes sense. That makes total sense. Continue. Sorry if I missed you covering this already. Um, You didn't because nope. you're correcting us. So thank you so much for that, Nada. Uh, source, me, an Arabic speaker. So we can even cite this one. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, we are uh, very much the opposite of that. He continues on with another pronunciation. Thank you, guys. We really need this. I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah. ultimately, we do feel really stupid when we read this, but then we feel great and justified that we learned something new afterwards. And so, somebody listened. Somebody listened, yes. <laughs> Al-Ahir Al-Nar. I think Al-Ahir Al-Nahir. 
Oh, not a, saying that it's Akir Al Nahir instead of Al Akir Al Nar. What is? What are you talking <laughs> about, Mike? So this is when we were talking to the Gazetteer yeah. about uh, like end of the river, mm-hmm. the constellation. Uh, Akir means end, and Nahir means river. Uh, I think it's pronounced Nahir, Nahir or Nahir. Okay. Uh, sorry if I fucked that up. Uh, but where not from, it literally means the Nile. It literally is named for the Nile, which I think is kind of cool. And I recall in my readings, I did come across this. I probably didn't articulate it, though, when we recorded. Yeah, yeah it was either I actually, either you looked this up or I looked this up. Uh, for being like, that was the word for the actual Arabic word for the Nile. Right, I right, remember right. that coming up. And the KH sound might be hard for many to say. The ak, is it like a kind of sound or? Uh, if I was going to be yes you, yeah, that's probably what I would do. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's sort of like rolling the R, but just really leaning into those consonants. Either way, Nada, you're right. It is hard to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a doozy. <laughs> it's a doozy. Do we have anything from Twitter? I don't think we checked that recently. Uh, no, no, but I mean, we, we still got plenty of time to dig all, all of our distrans, Mike. Uh, we're not going to leave anyone hanging before we close the curtain on the final right. episode. So. Right. At the very least, next week, if we haven't addressed it yet, while we're recording, because we know that you guys are a couple episodes behind while we record, mm-hmm. um, we'll try and cram it all in as much as we can to that last episode. Hell yeah. This is why we do two parts, Derek. Eh, part of the reason. One of many. One of many. <laughs> we keep adding on to the list of reasons why. But, Mike, I'm pretty sure that does it for this week. Yeah. All right. Well, does anyone have a question for us? Do you guys perhaps know a wine we could afford? Let us know. We're at Spice World Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you guys can always send a distrans at SpiceWorldPod at gmail.com. And, of course, there's our website at SpiceWorldPod.com. And if you're looking for a way to support the show, come join us over at our little sketch on Patreon.com slash SpiceWorldPod. That's where you can get our exclusive Between Two Dunes episodes like Ampeliros. Guild Highliners, Norma Sevna. We went through a couple of this today. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we've, we've been touching yeah. a lot fairly often. And I'm like, just come on over, guys. We'll put up your own little yali in our CH. <laughs> you can become a Spice Worlder. It'll be great. Derek. Mike. So we're doing part two of a chapter. So there's not really like a, a teaser. There isn't, but there was a passage that was interesting enough that I thought you might enjoy. Okay. Even though you've already read it. Okay. We got, we got to keep this going. Okay. There's, uh, something to get me amped. Something to keep things normal. Okay. It goes as such, Mike. Majesty, Paul said. Your force is reduced by one more. Shall we now shed sham and pretense? Shall we now discuss what must be? Your daughter wed to me, and a way open for an Atreides to sit on the throne? The emperor turned, looked at Count Fenring. The count met his stare, gray eyes against green. A thought lay there clearly between them, their association so long that understanding could be achieved with a glance. Kill this upstart for me, the emperor was saying. The Atreides is young and resourceful, yes, but he is also tired from long effort, and he'd be no match for you anyway. Call him out now. You know the way of it. Kill him. Oh, one of my favorites. Also, a very long sentence for a glance. Right? Isn't that how it always goes? <laughs> yeah. There's a great meme online of, uh, it's just every Frank Herbert bit of, he nodded, and the nod meant something very precise to the person <laughs> he nodded to, and he understood perfectly what he meant by this nod, and just how, that is that is Frank's writing well, in a well, nutshell. When we play D&D online, uh, one of the big things is like, I say this to him, with a knowing glance. Uh, yes. <laughs> that's so good. 
And that's when you as DM be like, roll. Because <laughs> there's a chance you fail. That I love it. It's my little tease. I pulled just because it's the Hasmere friend ring yeah, quote. Yeah, I know you love it. I love those bits. I love that final confrontation that we're going to work up to. Well, you know what? Speaking of final confrontations, everyone has to look uh, forward to a final confrontation of our own, Derek. What's that? Well, I'm going to leave it for next time, but uh, the ending of the book is a little controversial. Ooh. And I think we both have very uh, opposing viewpoints of it. Oh, we at least take those stands. And until then, Mike, the, the spice, spice must flow. According to Marion Westbert, wow, fuck you. <laughs> According to Marion, <laughs> you just said that. in the flow of it, that was you. Like, fuck you, Miriam Webster, your hard ass name. I'm gonna go see this other dictionary. Oxford, what do you got? Yeah. <laughs> That's the dead drop. You're, you're the drunk man's dictionary. Oxford.